In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to thee, our God. Glory to thee, heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things. O treasure, every good and bestower of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us from every stain and save our souls, O good one. Okay, sit down. So let's let's start from the beginning. I was at the monastery and I received the phone call about two and a half years ago, and it was Nicholas here, and he said to me that he heard on the news that or we heard or whatever he heard i think on the news it's going to be a food shortage because of some disease which i never even heard of and i said to him i don't know why you believe all this rubbish to me it's all crap but i heard that from father Kuprin that in america crap supposed to be a bad word like but in australia i always thought it was just meant lies but you know, in the services, they use a different word for the same thing, dung, D-U-N-G. So maybe I should have said to him, um, that's all dung, but no one really understands that word, so I said to him, that's crap. So he said, no, no, it's true, it's true, and I said to him, you tend to believe everything that you hear, and believe nothing that they say. This will be over in a few weeks, it's all, it's all just that word again. And... Uh, then the shelves started getting a bit empty and there was all this scare going on and masks happening and all these things happening. I said, this sounds like it's more serious than what I thought. I got that wrong because I didn't think that such a thing could happen. So most people in the world didn't think it was going to happen and yet it did. Why it happened and things like that, we'll see soon. I was receiving emails from overseas, from different people in Australia, asking for my opinion on it. And I didn't really know much about it. And I'm not the type of person that speaks about something unless I know what I'm talking about. Because then I'll be like some person that's in fantasy that believes they know everything. Then I started getting emails about churches were making people wear masks. And I said... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I know that the church has always had a policy of, you know, somewhat obedience to the government. If it doesn't go over into the dogmas, into the faith. In my mind, I couldn't, I didn't understand it properly. And people were saying, what are you going to say? You're going to have a talk. Well, we couldn't have a talk because then we went into, into lockdown. People were saying, why don't you write something? And I said, that's not for me. That, to me, is excruciating. I can do this with God's help, but writing things out is just not for me. I haven't written anything, actually, in all my years of priesthood. I haven't written one article. 
I can talk, but I can't do that. But then people kept on saying, what are we going to do with this, what are we going to do that? Then it started about the communion, and they were using sterilisation for the spoon. I said, what is going on? This is like a... So I started preparing a talk, an article, but I was reluctant. It was giving me a bad feeling. I just said, what am I... I don't know. I just don't have a good feeling about it. I got it edited to check the grammar, because my grammar's not very good. But still something was telling me, and it was a little bit... I had a lot of things there of the reason, things like that. I thought that was okay. But there were some parts there about the masks and, as I said, I've got to be confused with it. And I was ready to say, oh, okay, should I release it? Should I release it? No, don't do it. And I just said, well, let's wait. And people were saying, please and say something or whatever, whatever. I don't know why they're trusting on me. There's so many people out there. So, and I wasn't reading much about it. I just kind of left it a bit hoping that it was all going to go over. And also, I said, there are people who are qualified, you know, like great people. Metropolitan Neophytos of Morphu of Cyprus, a holy man, a saint in our times. But I haven't really, you know, my Greek's not that bad, but it's not that good either. So I kind of, but anyway, I came across an article which spoke about masks in the church, written by Father Savas, the Athenite. Who's also a doctor, I think. And he started saying in there that mask wearing is blasphemy and against the church and this. And when I read it, I nearly fainted. I said, I can't believe it. I didn't even, kind of, didn't hit me that much that that would be like that. And as soon as I read that, I realised why I was reluctant to release the information because in there I was kind of saying, well, if the government's asking, Kind of along those lines, which a lot of people are going to, um, I thank God that I didn't release that article. And I didn't realise how blasphemous it was to believe those things. That you've got to wear a mask in church and get diseases and the communion. The communion I knew, I said to people straight out, you will never go to a church where they use where they use different spoons and you'll never go to a church, not even to look at it, don't even look at it. Even if you don't do it, don't go, don't take your children because it's absolutely... That one I knew, but the last one I got confused. Then the vaccines happened and I started seeing things about it from doctors and also from holy people and they said, that's no good. People are getting sick, people can die. And then people were writing to me, what should we do? So I answered them back individually, don't get the vaccine, this and that, whatever, I wouldn't do it. And then I finally said, I can't take it anymore. I'm going to have to write something. So on September the, was it, 14th or something like that, we started last year the article... Now, first I did the talk 82 notes, which I was going to say, I'll present some stuff that I was going to do in the talk 82, which, we didn't, which, which is today's talk, which I didn't get a chance to. But I was noticing as I was going that it was, I was taking too long to get to the vaccines. I said, I might take a few months the way I'm developing my theme to get to vaccines. But meanwhile, people are getting vaccinated. Churches were opening up. The, the Belmore Church, even the Greek church, even became a vaccination hub. Bishops were saying that you should get vaccinated. 
bishops and metropolitans and patriarchs and if you don't get vaccinated, you're an evil person. And I said, I have to do something. So I threw away my reluctance and I got a bit, a bit of help from people for the editing, medical, obviously. I got some help from a doctor there that, that was into it and he knew, he knew a lot of the top people in the, that knows about all this stuff. And we started this, uh, this article. The Talk 82 notes has now been changed, the name, because today's Talk 82, and I've changed that to some thoughts about the current situation in the Orthodox Church and in the world. That's about 16 pages, around 5,000 words. And that's under, if you go to the website Orthodox Talks, you go to the right, my name's there, you, you click on it, and then you'll see um, that one there. And that one there was about conspiracy and how people, it's a whole thing there. There's very good things in there too. But then I stopped that. I said, no, I'm going to go straight to vaccines. I have to address it because people are getting the vaccine because they're being told to. Not by the, just the government. They're being told by their bishops and by their priests. That was the last straw for me. So with God's help, and when I look back at it now, when I look, sometimes I have to look something up on, the, on that article that we did. I got help. I got um, Mrs. White at the back. She does a bit of work there. And Stephen helped us. He was from Canberra. He was editing, helped us editing and things like that. And it got up to, now it's up to 521 pages, 120,000 words. That would have probably taken me to go through that um, well, it's about 12 talks of four hours, 48 hours, but I think the way I speak, it would have taken much, much longer. And that was a lot of work. When I read that article now and then I go, did I actually say that? Did I actually write that? Which means I think it was a miracle that that article was even written. It's covered with religious and doctors and things like that. And a lot of people, not me, I'm not saying it, a lot of people that have read it said that that's a very good article. And also I mentioned in there about the church and about the bishops and about history and things like that. So if you haven't read it, I would advise you to read it because there's a lot of things in there, especially from doctors as well. Now, today's topic is the importance of reading the lives of saints when dealing with the heresies of ecumenism and covetism. Now, some could say, why don't you have the topic, the importance of reading the gospel when dealing with heresies, with the heresies of ecumenism and covetism. Because you can't understand the Gospels unless you read the lives of saints. That's just like trying to teach a child in primary school mathematics at a high school level when they haven't even done primary school level maths. It's stupid, silly. So you... So the, does that mean you don't read the gospel while you read the lives? Of course you read the gospel, but you must be reading the lives of saints at the same time. And the more you read the lives of saints, the more the gospels will make sense. Without the lives of saints, you become a heretic. You make up things and you believe things like the Protestants do, which are now a thousand pieces or more. Because everyone there is like, um, they all think they know everything themselves individually. So in today's talk, what I want to cover is how did the Holy Orthodox Church deal with epidemics, pandemics, plagues, cholera, typhus, 
and other deadly infectious diseases in the past. We need to find what we call precedent, which is a legal term. I'll explain it to you in a minute. By knowing what they did in the past, we'll know what to do now. So what we're going to do today is we're going to go through a lot of the things of the lives of the saints to see how they dealt with it. And then we can compare that and see whether our bishops and clergy dealt with it the same way as the ancients did. Not even ancients, even up to a few years ago. They, and you'll find that it's completely different. Completely different. So what's a precedent? That is an earlier event or action that is regarded as an example or guide to be considered in later similar circumstances. We are looking for examples that happened in the past and use those examples to help us now. Precedents are used when a court decision in an earlier case has similar facts and laws to a case currently before a court. Some judges have stated that precedent assures that individuals in similar situations are treated alike instead of based on a particular judge's personal views. So your lawyer will go up in the court and present these previous cases to prove that. And that is what we say authoritative. That's precedent. Now, the second thing we want to look at today is can infection be transmitted from all the icons for relics, live the life-giving cross, life-giving cross. Even that in itself is such moronic to actually say that you can get sick from the life-giving cross. Now, some of you might say, that's not good. No, 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 Father, you shouldn't be using the word moronic and stupid and idiot like I do often, and I'll do it right through. I'll tell you something. Christ says, whoever says uh, fool to someone, even just a fool or whatever, they'll be in danger of going to hell. If that's the case then why am I saying that? But then again, Christ himself said, you fool, today your soul will be asked for. So why did he say not to say it, but he himself said it? Well, he's God. That's true. But then we go to the saints, and we see in the lives of saints and in the, in the writings of the saints that they use similar words. Saint Nikolai, Serbian saint, in his prologue, he says throughout his sermons and other books, that he's always got sermons and that, homilies, he uses the word idiot, stupid, morons. Why? Because it's not a personal thing. So, for example, this young man here, if he says to me on a personal level, you're an idiot or you're, you're stupid or whatever, you know, I have to forgive him. But if he says something like heretical, if he says something which is bad for his soul as a person, his soul, then I have the right to say what you're saying is stupid. That, that's idiotic. That's demonic. See the difference? That's where the devil, he uses our ignorance, people who don't know much, and he twists it and people say, oh, you're not allowed to say, with their false humility, you're not allowed to say stupid or something like that even though if you put them down they'll call you stupid but that's another thing so can we get 
diseases from icons, holy relics, the life-giving cross, holy communion, and didoro, which is the bread at the end, after the liturgy, blessed bread, which is like we had today, in the Artuklasia, the five loaves, koliva, which is the wheat, holy water, holy oil, the priest's hand, and other holy objects, and in the church building itself, because people were saying, you can't go to church because you can get diseases from, the, from within the church. Number three, how did the clergy deal with this pandemic? How did the clergy today deal with this pandemic, inverted commas? This supposed pandemic, we have to ask. The majority believed, and some still believe, or most of them, a lot, a lot of them believed, what was just said in the previous paragraph, that all these things, you can get sicknesses from the cross and call you and things like that. Um, these fell into heresy. Those people who said those things fell into heresy and they betrayed the orthodox faith. Others, few in number, believed and still believe that you cannot get sick from the above list, from the list I just said. There are clergy, and you know some of them yourselves, who says, I don't believe any of that, that you can get sick from holy things. Number four, we will learn how some clergymen secretly stood up and ignored the demonic orders of their bishops and their governments, and this last group of few. We saw priests that were doing secret liturgies, priests that were turning a blind eye, people were coming in without masks. There was plenty of churches here in Sydney, for example, that people could go and, you know, you could get away with not wearing a mask. Other churches, which looked like German concentration camps, you couldn't even get in if you, unless you were wearing a mask. Especially in the Greek church, it was like they had guards out the front. SS. And they were saying, you're not allowed in. Russian church was better. Serbian church, I heard, that you could find plenty of churches not, not to wear the mask. And who still continued communion. Because no law really was put into place in Australia, even in America, which said that you're not allowed to commune from the same chalice. They didn't go that far yet. There was one governor in one state in the US which said it, which I don't remember which one it was, but it never got to that stage. However, if it was no law, then why were so many churches using methylated spirits and things like that? In other words, who told them to do it? They themselves did it on their own, without being asked. Well, why would they do that? I saw one an epistle of a bishop and it was saying if any priest doesn't listen and doesn't take care of these, all these rules and this and that, I'm going to um, ban him from serving and then lay people and he was calling them names and all this type of stuff. And you'd think that you were reading a letter of a heretic in the old days from the lives of saints. And why did they do it? If they weren't required, a lot of the things they weren't required to do, why'd they do it? Well, maybe because they're atheists. That's, a, that's something we have to think about. And we'll come to that. Don't jump to conclusions and say, oh, you can't call the priests and bishops that. I have many examples. So if you be patient, you'll see them. Number five, there were clergymen who did not believe in the demonic contamination theory but still went along with it, either out of fear or a distorted sense of obedience. They compromised, in other words. So they didn't believe it, but they used to say, oh, we have to be obedient to the bishop. And lay people would write to me and go, oh, it's not his fault, Father, you know, because he has to be obedient to his bishop. I said, listen, 
If you write to me again like that, I'm not going to answer you ever again. I will not tolerate that type of um, that type of justification. Why? When we justify someone like that, slowly, slowly we'll do the same and make the same excuses. Well, what could I do? I had to do it for work. I had to get vaccinated for work. And a lot of people did that. So people will say, well, does that mean if someone's silent when they see something bad, that they're compromising? And that's bad, is it? And, well, I don't want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to what the saint says. Let's see what Saint Gregory Palamas says, 1359. He said the following. The silence of the clergy is atheism. When clergy see something that's wrong and they remain silent, they are atheists. Does this apply to those who compromise with lockdowns and cover restrictions? We're going to have to answer that. Number six. But very few were those who openly refused to go along with the obvious attack on the Orthodox Church. They called out their bishops and the civil authorities and said, no, we're not doing it. Very brave clergymen in Greece, Russia and around that said, no, we're not going to do this. They're the people you respect. Not the ones with the dog collars and, and the short beards, or even if they've got long beards, a lot of them have long beards, we're also into it as well. You listen to the Holy Fathers, you read the lives of saints, and you follow those clergy who are, have spiritual lives and who risk their own lives and their own livelihoods, etc., etc. That's who you listen to. Number seven, we also learn the reason why so many Orthodox clergymen fell into the sin of compromise and others into the sin of betrayal. Well, that's covered before. So, that's a kind of introduction. Now, before we go on, and I'm going to go a little bit quick. Now, usually I do 50 pages of my writing, 50 pages for four hours. I have today 90. And then I've got another couple of hundred pages on my computer of other stuff. I wish I could speak all night and all day, but there's a problem. The problem is, are they going to do another shutdown? And there's a lot of information that I would like to present to the people that will be that are here, but also the ones that are, are going to listen to the recording. There's an urgency. So tonight I'm going to go a bit quick and I'm going to go a bit long. Those who can't cope will leave if they want to. It's up to them. We've got plenty of food, plenty of things like that, because it's too many hours, but I'm going to try and do as much as I can. So, before we go on to the, the main part of the, what I'm going to do now in the talk, we have to first learn what is meant by endemic, what is meant by epidemic, what is meant by pandemic. So, I'll just do it quickly. Endemic something belonging exclusively or confined to a particular place, just in an area. And synonyms for endemic is local, is native, regional. So what is an endemic? An infection is endemic when it is consistently present but limited to a particular region. This makes the disease spread and the rates of the disease predictable. In other words, it's not multiplying. It's not out of control. 
It's something that's there. So malaria, for example, is considered endemic in certain countries and, and regions. Chickenpox is endemic in the United Kingdom. They've got chickenpox problem there. But it's constant, predictable. It's not out of control. That's an endemic. Polio remains endemic in two countries, Afghanistan and Pakistan. That's an endemic. It's not increasing, out of control. So what's an epidemic? An epidemic is something that spreads or grows rapidly, is extremely prevalent. So synonyms, something that is catching, contagious, infectious, spreading, rampant, prevalent. An epidemic affects a large number of people within a community, population or region. The number of those infected in that region is significantly higher than normal. The effect has to be significant, thousands upon thousands of deaths. The endemic was constant kind of thing. An epidemic is something that's more than normal. More broadly said, it says it's used to describe any problem that's out of control. That's an epidemic. And we, not just for disease, it can be used in, a, in another context. We can say uh, an opioid epidemic. People are now taking drugs, or opioid drugs, and it's becoming more and more people, more and people. It's out of control. That's an epidemic. A crime epidemic. We can say in a certain city they have 50 crimes a day. But now it's becoming 60, the next week 70, 80, 90. That's an epidemic. It's not the same, the same rate. An epidemic of riots, like there might have been a riot here and a little bit, but this is getting more and more. It's another epidemic. Or you can have an epidemic of bankruptcies. People are going broke more than normal. In the case of contagious disease, a large number of people are affected in a short period of time that is, it spreads rapidly from person to person in a locality where the disease is not permanently common. So uh, an epidemic can also be just in, a, in an area, in a town, in a country, like endemic, but this was out of control. Now we come to the big word, the one that they used on TV, etc., all the time, pandemic. A pandemic... Is an, is an epidemic that spreads over multiple countries or continents. For something to be called a pandemic, the effect has to be significant, thousands upon thousands of deaths. Now, a simple way to know the difference between an epidemic and a pandemic is to remember the P in pandemic, which means a pandemic has a passport. A pandemic is an epidemic that travels, travels different countries. That's how you remember. I didn't even know all this. I'm learning it as I did this. Synonyms of pandemic is widespread, universal, global, worldwide, Catholic, ecumenical, and unrestricted. As we just learned, an epidemic does not only relate to contagious diseases, like an opioid epidemic, crime epidemic, like we said before, but a pandemic can also not relate to diseases. For example, there could be a pandemic fear of atomic war which just started because of Russia and, the, and Ukraine. People thought there's going to be a war, nuclear war, so people that became a pandemic. It was everyone around the world started to have that fear. There could be a pandemic fear of an economic crisis that's happening, a pandemic fear of climate change. Well, that's there, whether that's true or not. So that's another thing, but I'm not going to go through that. A pandemic of unemployment, 
etc. For example, when COVID-19 was limited to Wuhan, China, it was an epidemic. It was in one area, spreading out of control, but in one area. The geographical spread, when it started going to other countries, became a, according to them, pandemic. What we need to know is for something to be called a pandemic, the effect has to be significant, thousands upon thousands of deaths. Now, on July the 2nd, 2021, during one of the shutdowns here in Australia, they justified those shutdowns because they said uh, there were three people in ICU Australia-wide, three people in ICU Australia-wide with COVID. And that's how they justified, and they kept on calling it a pandemic. Is a pandemic, a pandemic, a pandemic. I just kept on saying it. Now, was COVID-19 a fake pandemic? In part nine of my article on, on there, for the faithful who are confused about COVID-19 vaccines, I dedicated a section to Dr. Wolfgang Wallag, who is a German physician, he's an epi epidemiologist, politician, and public health expert. He's one of the world's foremost experts on pandemics, especially in the area of the international management of pandemics. Dr. Warag is one of the wisest and most experienced voices in the world when it comes to providing an informed medical and public health perspective on the current COVID-19 situation. According to Dr. Warag, this is all on my website, which some of you haven't even read. According to Dr. Warag, the swine flu pandemic was one of the greatest medicine scandals of the century. The swine flu. I'm going back to the swine flu now. He's the one that discovered that was all lies back in those days. He knew something wasn't right when 800 cases of swine flu in Mexico was declared pandemic. He proved that the swine flu was nothing more than a mild flu. So for a mild flu, they were calling it pandemic and that everyone has to get vaccinated. It was Dr. Warag who exposed the reason why in 2009 the World Health Organization changed the definition of pandemic. They had a certain definition, which was correct, when people are dying everywhere and all that type of stuff. The switch in definition allowed World Health Organization to declare swine flu a pandemic only after 144 people had died from the infection worldwide. The pharmaceutical companies pressed WHO to change the definition of pandemic so they can sell vaccines for the swine flu, which they already had prepared before the supposed outbreak. They already prepared all that. On the current COVID-19 situation, he said, quote, this is what the doctor's saying, and now you need a test to find out, you test healthy people and you find lots of positive tests and now you say this is a pandemic, which is ridiculous. The people are not even sick. They just have a positive test. So this is how they change the definition of pandemic. He said the way they did that, they can declare anything now a pandemic, the way they change the definition. And that's important, because once you declare something a pandemic, then who, WHO, which I like to say, who do they think they are, 
who then gets this authority to take, they even tried to pass it now in the United Nations, that any place where there's a pandemic, they can override the government. They're in charge. That didn't go through because a lot of African countries and other countries said no. This monkey thing, monkeypox. They had a vote in the United, in the who was wherever that Tadros man's. What, what, what's he part of? Does anyone know? Who? who? Yeah, they had a vote, and it, they said no. It's not. Does anyone know? Global medical emergency, and he said for the first time in the whole history of who he said no, I'm not going to listen to the votes. Now monkeypox is a disease which affects. 99 points, something, 99 percent. I'll just say it like that. I can't. I think it's even more. Gay men who engage in gay sex. That's it. If some of you are gay and you're doing that, then you've got a problem. But if you're not, then why worry about it? 99 percent. Anyway, it's all on the website. Now let's move on. Let's have some appetizers. In a lot of uh, many cultures around the world, people eat something before the main meal in order to stimulate their appetite. That is to make them extra hungry for the main meal. Also, you don't want to burden your stomach suddenly, which is what we do in the West. Just straight away get into the main meal and then after that you've got to take Alka-Seltzer's and things like that. Some appetizers are soup, oysters, seafood, dips, cheese, cheese pastries, etc. Yeah, each culture have their own little appetizers. You have it a bit, stimulates, gets the acid going, and then you go for the big for the big meal. We also have what I call spiritual appetizers. I would like to advise that when you start to read something heavy, you affect your soul. It's too heavy, it's too, too sudden. I, I find that hard, when you, especially when you're dealing with all these things of the world, a lot of your work, etc., kids, chat, children, all that. So you should have something light, something light. So I like to read the lives of saints every day. So in the lives of saints, there's some that are a lot of pages and there's some that's a little bit. I don't go to the big ones yet, but might be in the brown book, the seven volumes set of the Synaxarian, in there there might be one life could be five, six pages. I won't read that first. I'll go through and read all the little ones and then I build up, then I build up and by the time I get to the big one, I can concentrate. But if I go to the big one straight away, I can't concentrate. It's too, it's too heavy. See, that's what's called spiritual appetizers. Have a little bit. Do little things like that. Prologue's good because St. Nicolai just wrote the lives of saints, some brief lives. Then he builds up, if you notice, for consideration, and at the end he has the homily. The homily is deeper. He knows. So in the same way, we must avoid burning our souls with solid spiritual food. Of course, the solid spiritual food can also mean philokalias and really, really deep things which should not be read. I don't even read the philokalia. Why would I read the philokalia for? You to read the Philokalia to do the Jesus prayer like 
as we read Elder Joseph did. You need an elder or an eldress. You need to be cut off from society. You need to be in quietness. So we're going we're gonna to now practice the deep prayer while we're surrounded with images, television, news, things like that. There's too much going on. You can't do it. Those who try to do that will fall into deception. So let's go to the first spiritual appetizer quickly. Number one. On August the 5th, 2021, it was reported that on the Greek island of Evia, the abbot and most of the monks of St. David of Evia Monastery, where St. Yakovos, that just was canonised recently, lived, were forced to evacuate because of the fires in Evia. Evia is the second largest island in Greece after Crete, I think. So it's on the side there of where Athens is, and it's the side's a big island there. My mother's from there as well. Monastery was forced to evacuate as wildfires raced dangerously close towards the Holy Monastery. That, that fire wiped a lot of, lot, a lot of places. Before the Brotherhood agreed to leave, Abbot Gabriel commented that the fathers were engulfed in smoke. It was so bad. They left the fate of their monastery in the hands of God. The abbot, the abbot further said, May the Panagia, may the Mother of God, and the Holy Elder Saint Yakovos, there's two saints there now, Saint David and Saint Yakovos, extend their hands to help by not letting the fire reach this far. It's destroying everything. Videos have appeared online showing how close the fire came to the monastery. The monks say that their home was quote, licked by fires. They were coming, pretty much the fires were on their walls. A few monks stayed behind to gather the holy relics and other sacred treasures of the monastery. Many trees were cut down around the perimeter to help stop the aggressive fire, as we do here in Australia. But the monks said that at the last minute, God helped by turning the fire away in another direction. Damage to the monastery buildings were minimal, all the churches of the monasteries remained intact. All those mentioned above, they were practically engulfed in flames and everyone assumed that they would be destroyed. The abbot and the brother proclaimed that it was due to the prayerful intercessions of their patrons, St. David and St. Jacob of Severia, that the fire ceased and the monastery was saved. And there's videos on that online. Within the same appetizer, we have another little one about Evia. This is in our section three on the website. There's something called videos and articles. And you've got section one, section two, section three, section four, and we now have section five. Section three are religious articles and videos unrelated to COVID. Section one is religious articles relating to COVID. Section two, articles and videos and all that, secular relating to COVID from doctors and things like that. Section three is um, religious articles in general. Section four is just some uh, different things that we've got. They have different saints you can click on. And section five is a new section, which is videos and articles that are um, not related to COVID and they're not, they're not spiritual. They're worldly things about what's happening in the transgenders, school education, all that type of stuff, which is important for people to know. So in section three, it's item 37. 
It says there, on August the 9th, 2021, it was reported that fires had been destructively raging across the Greek island of Evia for an entire week. Many were forced to evacuate from their home villages and even monasteries. The relics of St. John the Russian, that died in 1730, are kept in the village of Prokopi on the island of Evia. I visited St. John the Russian when I was six, I think I had 16 when I went. My uncle took me, I went to Greece. My uncle took me, I didn't ever know what was going on. I do remember I was sitting in the church with my foot over the other and um, I think it was the, one of the candle people came up and he just touched my foot, in other words, put it down. I never knew. Though the residents were initially planning to evacuate to escape the fires, they instead resolved to turn to the Lord in prayer and to ask the intercessions of their beloved Saint John. Perhaps they were inspired by the miracle at Saint David's monastery a few days earlier. All the inhabitants of Prokopi, that's a village there, participated in a procession with the saint's relics. This is during lockdown. Calling upon him to stop the deadly flames that were quickly approaching their village. It was coming quick. You know about those things. Several Greek outlets, news people and that, reported that the prayers of the people were heard. So even the atheists, the outlets, a lot of those news people, they had to admit that it was a miracle. Several Greek outlets reported that the prayers of the people were heard and just a few hours later, after they did the litany, or even while they were doing the litany, in the early morning hours of 7th of August, this is what happened. I saw it in the video, it was in Greek, and they explained them, and the guy said, we noticed, as we were taking the saint, we said, we noticed this black in the sky, and we thought it was the smoke from the fire. And it wasn't a smoke from the fire. It was black clouds. And as I said, in the early morning, a torrential downpour began, keeping the village of Prokopi safe, but nowhere else in the, in, on the island, just there. News had also spread of the chapel of the Holy Trinity at Limni, Maranthos, which is uh, Marathona, sorry, in mainland Greece, which survived flames while everything around it was destroyed. Another, another church, chapel, on mainland Greece, just outside of Athens, somewhere there, uh, survived the flames. And everything else was destroyed except for that. Now, in the Vesper service, we sing, by the intercessions with the Master, keep and preserve us all who now honour thy glorious and godly memorial, John, our blessed Father. Pray to him to save us from dangers, passions, and disease. And by thine earnest entreaties, drive far off his anger, God's anger, and displeasure now aroused against us because of sin, so that we might proclaim to all thy protection and fervent care. That's one of the things that we sing in the Vesper service of St. John the Russian. Now, some of you are going to say, what's this have to do with COVID? Because we came here to hear about COVIDism. See? Covetism, like ecumenism, is a heresy. We made up the term covetism. 
another heresy. Sometimes the church was hit by two heresies at the same time. We are now hit by two heresies. Ecumenism, which has been since the 1920s, to this one now here. Ecumenism has been going on for 100 years. The heresy with the icons, the iconoclasts, they went on for um, 120 years, I think. So we've been hit by two heresies. And those who believe in, in the heresy of covetism, that is, those who believe that you can get sick from holy things, we call them covetists. Just like those who believe in ecumenism, we call them ecumenists. Why am I reading St John? Why am I talking about those two miracles? Well, we had a bit of a clue there. Who picked up one of the words in the Vespa Traparia the old service in the hymn? There was one word that I said, and it says, save us from dangers, passions, and, and disease. So, my question is, did anyone ask St John to help them with this supposed pandemic? The COVID disease, COVID-19 is real. I'm not going to say it's not real. And it can be difficult, those who get it. And people did die. But you have to understand the following. The survival rate of a normal adult, unless they've got diseases like they're fat, they've got diabetes, the survival rate is 90... Uh, who remembers? 90... Six something, hmm? yes? 99. 99 is the survival rate. Now, let's go to the second appetizer. Are our souls becoming stimulated now? Are we starting to feel, oh, I'd like to learn more? See, that's, that's the whole purpose of the appetizers. Oh, by the way, the survival rate for children is 100%. Statistically, it's 99.9%, but they just say statistically 100% for children. But they're vaccinating them now. Six months old, I think. I think they want to go lower. This is a nice one too. During the celebration of Theophany in Petersburg in 1909, Bishop Kirill, now a saint, but then he was Bishop Kirill, revealed himself as an outstanding fighter for church truth and tradition. Under the influence of worldly scientific groups, it was officially decreed in Russia, that all water which was to be blessed for the feast, like we do for Theophany, in Petersburg, diocese, must be, no, not Russia, Petersburg, must be, must, they must have had some type of outbreak there. So, in Petersburg, any water that was to be blessed for holy water there was to be boiled beforehand. And thus, the great ayiasma, as we call it in Greek, the, bless, the great blessing of the waters, had to be performed over steaming pots. But I like that part there, see? Under the influence of worldly scientific groups, I wonder whether our clergy and bishops, a lot of the bishops' clergy, were they influenced by worldly scientific groups? That's a question. You ask yourself that. Were they influenced? Well, when a bishop says the only light at the end of the tunnel is the vaccine, would you say he was influenced? One vocal church spokesman of that time noted that, quote, more faith was shown in the firewood necessary to boil the water 
and kill the germs than in God. I'm going to make something up now. Ready? More faith was shown in the masks and in the vaccines to protect us from COVID than in God. That was my little... Put that in there. Fortunately, however, still the same quote, not everyone stepped away from the anchor of our salvation, I mean, Christ and tradition. And in the same Petersburg, the Lord preserved for his chosen ones a single bishop who did not agree to surrender his faith for the sake of peace with the enemies of Christ's church. Single bishop. Why did I raise my voice for single? Because some people say, but the bishops, but the bishops, but the bishops, but the bishops. St. Mark of Ephesus was the only bishop who said no to the union with the Roman Catholics. And we have many examples. It's on the website in that article. I gave examples there. They think, oh, but so many bishops are saying to be vaccinated. So many bishops agree to the masks. Who cares? Here we have in Russia, in the start of the 20th century, one bishop stood up against the enemies of Christ's church. And here today we hear that there are some bishops around the world, very few, who have stood up against Christ's enemies. And who are Christ's enemies? Who is the, who is the, who is, um, the enemies of Christ's church? Well, many governments, medical people, and I'm not surprised that they, they don't bother me. The enemies that bother me of the Orthodox Church are patriarchs and bishops and priests who say these type of things. Some of them you would say that that, that, that priest, the way he speaks to that bishop, is he one of Pfizer's representatives? Is he trying to sell the vaccines because they sound like more like representatives of Pfizer than representatives of Christ. If these notes ever see the light of print, let them preserve the name of this loyal servant of God and Archpastor for the strengthening of faith and piety in the overburdened Christians. Kirill of Dov, who later on became Kirill of Kazan, and he also died under the communists. See, he did the confession of faith for the water, and then God gave him grace, and then he got to the stage where many bishops denied and listened to the communists, but he said no, and he was put in a concentration camp, and he, was, and he died. Metropolitan Cure of Kazan. And that's one of our main new martyrs from the armed communists. May his name be blessed from generation to generation. That writer, whoever that was, that news person, spokesman, he got it right. Because Saint Kirill's name, his name is being blessed from generation to generation. Disobeying the warnings of the police, Bishop Kirill blessed right through a hole in the ice, the water of the Neva River at the Saint Alexander Nevsky Lavra. The local police, however, took measures to ensure that no one was allowed to take water from the Jordan, as we say, because when we bless the waters, they are like the waters of the Jordan where Christ was baptized. Some of you might say, but he failed. It doesn't matter. God doesn't look at the results. God looks at the heart. And in his heart, he went against 
the government, the police, and everyone. Number three, appetizer. Saint Athanasios of Manathos, in, who died in 1003, his memory is 5th of July. Saint Athanasius and six of his monks climbed up onto the top of a newly built church to inspect a wall that was being constructed. Now, he's the one that built the monastery of the Great Lava on Manathos. Some of you have been, only men are allowed in Manathos, but that is one of the, that is the largest monastery. It's like a city. When you walk there, you're just gigantic. That was the first monastery of Manathos. Suddenly, the top of the church collapsed and buried them. This was due to God's will, which was not always understood. Five of the monks immediately gave up their souls to God. St. Athanasius and the architect Daniel were, were buried alive. All heard the saint called out to the Lord, Glory to the O God, Lord Jesus Christ, help me. The brethren, with great weeping, began to dig out their father from the rubble, their abbot, but they found him already dead. He had died three hours after the collapse. St. Athanasius' holy body remained incorrupt, and he worked many miracles after his death. This great lighthouse of monasticism died in the year 1003 AD. Many times following his death, Athanasius appeared to his brethren, sometimes to comfort them and sometimes to reprimand them. I like that one there. You see, people have a wrong view. The priest is only to comfort and do little Bible stories in church. But what do we see here? that The saint appeared to also reprimand. That's the job of the priest, to reprimand. Later on, I'm going to read you, if we get to it, canons which say that if a priest or bishop does not teach, does not reprimand, he loses his priesthood or the grace of the um, bishop. That's how strict the church is. That's the job. See, people think, oh, he reprimands. Oh, that's not a good priest. He reprimands. He reprimands. That's the problem today. The problem in the Orthodox Church is that hardly no priests reprimand. Hardly no priests correct the people. How many of you know, for example, that the contraception pill, which is a, a hormonal contraception, it's chemical, can cause abortions? We've covered this in other his talks. The, that, those contraception pills and all those IUDs, all these hormonal contraceptives, patches and all that, they work in three ways. One, it doesn't allow the sperm to reach the egg. Number one, if that fails, it stops the egg of even being produced. And three, if the sperm does reach the egg and starts to come down the fallopian tube to implant into the uterus, it expels the fertilised egg. That is an abortion. That is a, basically, a, as one father said, and I think it was Church of Georgia, it's a mini-abortion. And no one knows. Because you don't have any evidence of that coming out. Because it's so microscopic. But it's still a soul. And now I ask you, and those books are for free, take them. Read them, give them to your families and that. I want to ask you, how many of you heard the priest or the bishop speak and say to the Christians, beware, these, these, and not only that, they are also very bad for the health of a woman. They cause, they cause miscarriages when the child, when you want to get pregnant later on, they cause um, infertility, 
They cause sicknesses to women, depression, this and that. It's very, very bad stuff. Do you hear it? Have you heard it? Anyone? Can put up your hand if you've heard it. Put up your hand. It's like I'm doing an auction. How many? How many? None? No. No. Oh, you heard it? Who from? Sorry. I got excited because there was someone that actually did it. Yeah. Yeah. So one person only. Why did I read this for? Well, because there are people who say, well, let me read a couple of more and then one more. Saint Niphon, the Athenite, 1411, and he's 14th of June. When a terrible epidemic ravaged the great lava of Manathos, the same monastery, it devastated the community, wiping out almost all the priests. The epidemic killed just about all the priests. The abbot recalled Saint Niphon to the monastery and gave him the obedience of celebrating the divine liturgy in the hermitages and dependencies in the south of Athos. He spent three years in the monastery. See, apart from the monastery, the monastery also has little um, houses where cells are and things like that, where monks live. And some of them don't have priests, or if they did, they died. So what's the purpose of this appetizer? It's the question and say, people say, if you have faith, nothing will happen to you. You're protected. Those who believe, nothing happens to them. I will tell you that there are so many examples in the lives of saints of whole communities being wiped out from epidemics and those the plagues and all that type of things. Now, some will say, but you just said now that you can't get diseases from relics and you can't get... I didn't say they got it from the relics. They just got it. It's in the air from another person. Saint Athanasius is one of the greatest saints of Manathos, and yet he went up to the church, he was building a church, and the war fell on him. Now, was that like a reward? Why did God allow that? And then this person here, this saint, Saint Niphon, a very great saint, and he, in his time, most of the priests were wiped out. And that's what we are hoping to answer today. Number four, from the prologue, not the prologue of Akhur, another prologue, there's a lot of prologues in the Orthodox Church. In a once spiritual Byzantine town, the people had become lazy and indifferent to spiritual life. Because of this, they were shamelessly and boldly committing sins. They did whatever they wanted, broke all moral laws and canons and ignored all the corrections, the reprimands of their good elderly bishop. No matter how much he begged them to change their ways and repent, they remained unrepentant. The townsfolk merely laughed at the elderly bishop and waved him off as they would an annoying fly. Just like that. Just. Finally, the old bishop died. A young new bishop was appointed who began to live such a sinful life of pleasure that even the townsfolk who thought they'd already seen everything were shocked. So they got a new bishop, young fellow, but this one was a real, hmm, he wasn't a very nice person. Suddenly they missed their good old humble elderly bishop. The townsfolk found it difficult to endure their new bishop's constant demands for money, his corruption, his humiliation and beatings. You know, in the Orthodox Church there are, there are periods of time where the bishops had a lot of power. 
a lot of power. And he could order those type of things. And his most incredible and wild disorder, they just couldn't take it. Unable to stand their bishop any longer, the citizens of the town cried out in unity, Why, Lord, have you sent us such a monster? That's not nice, is it, to call him a monster? Or perhaps that's what they are. So they said, why, our Lord, have you sent us such a monster? They had no idea how to pray properly because they weren't spiritual. But after a long period of prolonged and pitiful crying, the Lord appeared to one of the town fathers and replied, quote, I tried to find someone worse for you, but I couldn't, end quote. You have to understand that the bishops that we have today and the clergymen are according to the people. If the people are off, God grants off bishops and priests as he does off governors and prime ministers and presidents and things like that. If the people are spiritual, God will grant better people. I tried to find someone worse for you, but I couldn't. We'll always remember that when you say, but why, why is the bishop saying this? Why did the priest do this and why that? As much as it makes me sick, I just say to myself, that's according to our own faith, etc. There are good bishops, by the way, but few. Another one. This is from the life of Holy Father Alexander, Archbishop of Alexandria, 29th of May who died in 326. After the persecution of the church by the pagans, St. Alexander was concerned for the development of his clergy. He only ordained bishops and priests who had been sanctified in ascesis and solitude. In other words, he only ordained men who were spiritually advanced, that is, they were holy. That's the criteria for choosing bishops especially. They used to choose them, those who were holy people, those who were ascetics, those who were beaten in monasteries, etc. But today, where are they choosing them from? Who knows? Starts with you. Where are they choosing them from? University. That's the criteria today. Oh, like they're eating, like as they say, like a really oily, sweet type of cake, and they and the people there go, oh. My bishop choking on there. My bishop's got a, a PhD. A PhD's got. That's it. That's what you want. That's what you get. Number six. Our Holy Father Basil of Ostrog was born in 1610, Serbian saint, of poor but deeply devout parents in a village of Her- in Herzegovina. His first school of piety was his parental home where the things of God were of more importance than earthly and passing cares. So then I'm going to change it now to today. So today our children, their first school is the TV. That's, that's where they learn from, the TV. Not even from their parents. Parents got no time. Because they're too busy watching TV too and, and things like that. So that's their first. But, but St Basil's first school of piety was the home, the things of God. 
his second school of piety, in which his soul was able to satisfy its spiritual desires, was regular attendance at the divine liturgy. He also liked to personally pray in solitude. Now, some of you say, but where are we going to go? We're going to go to the desert, or in our case here, into the, um, the Blue Mountains in the forest somewhere and pray. No, we just go to our room. That's solitude. You can go pray in your car, near the beach, in the forest. We can do anything. Don't be silly to make up silly excuses. That, oh, we can't be like that. When he entered a church, he would prostrate fully to the ground and devoutly kiss the floor. Why am I reading this today? Kiss the floor of the church. He followed the divine liturgy, motionless and with fear, as though he stood before the throne of God. Today, when there was lockdown, not only weren't you allowed to kiss the floor, which wasn't necessary, you weren't even allowed to go to church. But if you did want to kiss the floor, because St Basil did, they would say you've got to wear a mask because you might contaminate the floor. He was tonsured in a monastery and a short time later was ordained deacon and then priest. See, he came from the monastery. He was then called to serve the Metropolitan of Tsetnia in Montenegro. At the time when the Serbs were oppressed under the Turks, the Orthodox faith was also endangered by the propaganda of the Jesuits, the Roman Catholics, who were seeking to convert the Serbs to Catholicism. St. Basil informed his metropolitan, because St. Basil was a priest, of the cunning, sly, deceitful propaganda of the Jesuits and the need to defend orthodoxy. But the metropolitan was indifferent and falsely accused him in front of the people. There's been deceived, whatever he said. The Christians did not believe these slanders because they had full confidence in St. Basil whose way of life was a radiant testimony of the truth. On his return to his monastery, the saint travelled around the villages holding services and encouraging the people to keep, their, to keep the faith as the most precious possession. The Muslims and the Uniates hated him. Uniates are those who look like Orthodox, but they're Catholics. They do everything the same as us, got the same looking icons, they dress the same and but they're Roman Catholics. They commemorate. The only way you can tell them sometimes is they, they commemorate Papa Romi. The Muslims and the Uniates hated him because of his orthodoxy. Because of his hate, twice he had to leave, the first time to Russia, the second time to Manathos. On his return, he was consecrated bishop with the title of Metropolitan of Trebunia, whatever. This took place in 1638. After supporting his people, especially spiritually, with his persistent and untiring ascetism and prayer, that's the sign of a true bishop, is that they are ascetical and they're people of prayer. Now, some of them might answer, why would I need to pray? I've got a PhD. Why do I need to pray? Anyway, St. Basil entered peacefully into rest in the Lord on 29th of April, 1671. At the moment of his last breath, an indescribable light filled his cell. Many miracles began to occur of his grave and have never ceased to this day. Seven years after his death, when they opened the grave, they found the saint's body, the colour of wax and giving off a fragrance. The sign that someone's holy 
is that golden color that they look. Now I'm going to ask you, ecumenism, the heresy of ecumenism has been around for 100 years. Name me one ecumenist which is golden, which is incorrupt, which does miracles, which gives off myrrh, one of them. Have you ever seen a picture of an ecumenist? Maybe if the dog collar's still on him. Could have a long beard. Some of them do have long beards. Have you ever seen an incorrupt relic of one of them? And you never will. God will never, ever, ever make an ecumenist or a covetist into incorrupt relics, given off myrrh and looking golden. Never. It will never happen. A hundred years we've had so many patriarchs that were ecumenists. Not one of them do you hear of one miracle at their grave. And they don't even dare to open them because of what they're going to find. Saint Basil was granted so much grace because of his defence of orthodoxy. Not for his betrayal. They, they placed his relics in a reliquary in the church where pilgrims were able from that time to venerate it. Just as the saint had never throughout his life known peace, so his relics had to be hidden several times to escape Turk, Turkish desecration. The Turks used to, like they did St. John the Russians, relics, they tried to burn them. That's why they're black, but they didn't fully succeed. They were after St. Basil's because they didn't like the fact that the Serbs were venerating St. Basil. So they wanted to find the relics and destroy them. St. Basil is one of the most venerated saints among the Serbs. There are very many churches dedicated to him, both in Serbia and abroad. That's why it's important to read the lives of saints, to compare the bishops and priests of today with other ones, so that that way you know what to look for and stop making excuses. Oh, uh, someone wrote to me and said, our priest, it wasn't his fault. He had to listen to the bishop and he, and he used methylated spirits each time that someone communed. Well, he got told off badly. But he stuck around. Usually when you tell someone off, they don't, they don't usually come back. But he stuck around and we, uh, I helped him with God's help and he found a church where they, none of that was happening, no master, nothing. That's it. Now, what happens if you can't find a church? You stay home. That's what a lot of the, um, that's what, elder, for example, Elder Savas, the, the Ayuriti, the Greek holy person, uh, he said that, just stay home. But, you know, I believe that people can find something. And I said, people said, but what happens if I don't find anything? What am I going to do, stay home all my life? No, because it's going to pass soon. And it did pass. And it might happen again. You've got to be ready. You do not wear masks in church. You do not participate in any service where there's all this blasphemy going on with the communion. Now, Father Stilianos Kapathiu, he is on our website, on the article. And there's a video I saw of him. I think we have that in our section one where he, he is a very holy man, he's, a, he's a, got seven children, and he's a uh, bioethicist, a very spiritual man. Now, I'm going to say something 
But I've never seen much of this, so I'm not going to 100% thing, but he said that he was also about the mask too. He says that it's so bad, that it's such a heresy to believe that you've got to wear a mask in church because you are going to get contaminated. And the Holy Communion says those people should be chrismated. I'm not going to say that now as yet. I don't, I don't know. You know. I'm just interested in that this man said that. And he's a very well-respected priest of the Greek church. As is Dr. Wolfgang Medical, Dr. Wolfgang Warag. He's also, as we heard there, respected. But after he started speaking about COVID, he became disrespected. Then they said, oh, he's fanatical, he's this. He doesn't know much, this, that. Before he knew, and all these doctors, they all knew. But once they started speaking up, they don't know. Don't be tricked. The seventh appetizer, we've got a lot too many appetizers today. By the time you eat all these appetizers, you won't be able to eat anymore. St. Genevieve, a fifth century saint, was told that Attila the Hun was approaching Paris. Now, Attila the Hun was a, um, a monster, basically. He was a horrible, he was a barbarian, and he, uh, was a, he ravaged Europe. People were scared of him. When they heard Attila the Hun was coming, they knew they were finished. Saint Genevieve and her nuns prayed and fasted, asking God to spare the city. Suddenly, the barbarians turned away from Paris and went off another direction, just like the fire in Saint John the Russian went another direction. Attila the Hun was the ruler of the Huns from 434 until his death of 453. He also was considered one of the most powerful rulers in world history, who was feared. Attila was known to the Romans, the Roman Empire, for his brutality and a fondness for sacking and pillaging Roman cities. Why did I mention that? Why is that an appetizer? What's the purpose of that? Well, we should um, have faith in the prayers of holy people. And I never heard anyone of these covetous say that we should um, ask Say if St. Paisa was alive or St. Porfirio was alive, people that were very holy, St. Yusimbovich, a man of prayer, if they were alive, do you think the Covetists would have went to them and said, can you pray for us? Oh, the university. The university found out that the bishops that have these degrees went and asked these simple monks. Well, Yusimbovich wasn't a simple monk. He was highly educated. But Paisa had highly very minimal education. St. Bruce had even less. I think he was second class. I think St. Paisa done a little bit of high school maybe. They were basically not very educated. Imagine now a theological metropolitan like go in there and bow down and say, please, Yarunda, please, Elder, please pray for the world, for what's happening. Would they do that? No, because if the academics find out from the universities, they will say, you're backward, you're medieval, you're... Oh. But they don't like that. So St. Genevieve, how about St. Serge of Rondonez? He says, I don't know, how do you say that? Ron, Ron, how do you say that? Is Russians, any Russians here? Rondonez. Oh. In 1380, the Holy Prince Dmitry Donskoy, whose feast day is 9th of May, he's also a saint, visited the monastery of the life-given Trinity and received St. Serge's advice and blessing for an upcoming battle. St. Serge said, go forth fearlessly, my prince. The Lord will help you against the godless enemy. You shall conquer your enemies. To aid the prince in battle, St. Sergius also gave him two schema monks who were former soldiers. 
On September the 8th, 1380, on the day of the activity of the Holy Mother of God, the Russian army defeated the Tatars on the Kilikovo field, making the first step towards liberating Russia from the Tatar yoke. From Tartar yoke. While the battle was in progress, St. Sergius gathered all his monks in the church and prayed to the Lord for success in battle and afterwards offered thanks to God for the victory they had been granted. So again, we see the prayer. And so we're going to read some from St. Paul. This is what he says. The prayer of just a simple monk can save the world. The truth is, if it wasn't for the prayers of the monastics, the world would have blown up a long time ago. St. Paisios, um, I think this is it. Yep. Regarding politicians who committed crimes against the nation, he said, quote, with a clear conscience, I ask God to give them repentance and then take them. Otherwise, they will do even worse things and God will raise up Maccabees. So in other words, St. Paisios is saying that those politicians who were doing bad to the nation, he would pray, and he said, with a clear conscience, I wasn't guilty about it, this is what I did. I pray that God grant them repentance so they can be saved and take them so, that they, don't further, so they don't further do any evil thing. Now, um, do we apply that to the metropolitans and bishops? And I'm not sure. I haven't come across that, so I'm not going to say yet. But are they doing evil in, in the church? They are. They are doing evil. St. Paisius believe that a single monastic can help an entire nation. Quote, God makes one person a monk so he can help his family. Another he makes a monk to help an entire nation. The holy mountain can offer a lot. It can recreate the Byzantine, Byzantium it came from. In other words, the prayers of simple monks can do things unheard of. Can save the world. And that's why the communists, when they took over in these, a lot of these Orthodox countries, they went for the monasteries first. They had to get rid of the monastics. Next one, number eight, coming to the end of our appetizers, uh, St. Cosmas of Italia, 1779. The bishop that made me a priest, a monk, he gave me the, his name. St. Cosmas said, you will see in the field a carriage without a horse running faster than a rabbit. He prophesied that. And we've got evidence because we've got records of these things from, oh, they're not just made up now. I'm telling you these first ones so we can get to the other ones about today. Just to show you what he said so you can see this was truly a man of God. Quote, another one. A time will come when people will speak from one distant place to another as though they were in adjoining rooms. For example, from Constantinople to Russia. The telephones. He got that right. A time will come when the earth will be encircled by thread. By a thread. Suggesting electrical power grids, telephone lines, and now wireless, etc. He got that right. But the thread more meant physical, a physical, um, a physical line. Quote, you will see people flying in the sky like blackbirds and hurling fire on the earth. Those alive will run to the graves and shout, come out who are dead and let us who are living go into the grave because it would be that, that bad. 
the aeroplanes, the before those um, am, uh, bombs and things like that. There will come a time when things mute and senseless will govern the world. Mute and senseless will govern the world. What's going to and what that means? Radio, television, computers. The time will come when the devil will make orbits with his pumpkin, suggesting satellites. You see, the saints, when they saw things, they didn't know, they didn't have the knowledge to know what is that. Like it will run like a, car a carriage. He didn't know there was a motor in it. He saw it, but he never had the knowledge at that time. To, but he saw it, and he saw these pumpkins, which were satellites. Now, this is important. This will help us to understand and to remain calm. A lot of people panic with this COVID thing. That which is longed for will come when two Paschal celebrations fall together. That is, when the Feast of the Annunciation and Pascha fall together, which doesn't usually happen. That, that it says the things that we long for, what were they longing for? What did they want God to give them during that time? Does anyone know? What did the Greeks want? What were they longing for? Independence, Independence freedom from the Turks. Well, they did get rid of the Turks in southern Greece, but in northern Greece and other countries like um, uh, Serbia, southern Bulgaria, southern Serbia, the Turks were there as well. In 1912, the Feast of the Annunciation and the Feast of Pascha fell together, and that is the same day that the Ottomans left those areas for good. The Ottomans meaning the Turks. I'm going to tell you another little thing now and you're going to be very surprised. There was another time, the next time I think after that, in 1912, the next time that that happened when the two feasts fell together was in 1991. And what happened then? In 1991, the the unthinkable happened. People said that was never going to happen. They thought that these creatures were going to be there forever. What happened in 1991? Communism fell. Liberation. I don't know when the next one is, but no one ever thought, even the Americans with all their um, spy stuff that they got, they never thought just like that. No one expected it. And one day they're doing, the Russians are doing parades with their missiles, their atomic missiles and things like that, showing their power. And then in 1991, I forgot what month, bang, it all collapsed. All those countries that were held under these demonic people were freed. I'm explaining all this to you to say one of the themes in my article that I wrote but before I said God can solve the problem of this COVID stuff with a blink of an eye, like that, like a faster than if you blink your eye. God can solve the problem. Now, there's a doctor who just died recently, a Jewish doctor, Zelensky, Dr. Vladimir, not Zelensky, what's his name? Zelenko. I'm getting confused with the other Zelensky. <laughs> Because um, that's what you hear on TV now. This is Zelensky, Zelensky. So 
Sorry about that. Bit of brainwashing now, I think. So Dr. Vladimir Zelenko gave a, little, a talk at some meeting two weeks before he died of cancer. He was persecuted, by the way. He spoke up against, he exposed the COVID. He lost jobs, he lost money, he was threatened. He, had to, uh, he went through a lot. And he's a Jew. Well, we have Orthodox clergymen that have the grace of ordination from God, and yet we couldn't hear anything hardly. Anyway, so this Zelenko gave a speech. And he went through all the evil they're going to do. They're going to get rid of money. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. They're going to put this chemical. It's going to become like um, uh, where they can detect where you are because the nano stuff and all that. He went through all of it. And pretty much I agreed, I think, with all of it. And he said to the people that it's impossible for there to be a solution to this. They've got control, they've got power, and they're going for it. And he said, it's impossible for there to be a solution. Except, he says, the solution will be a Messiah. Uh, something divine is what he's implied, which is true. Divine. Only God can solve this problem. But... Where he went wrong is he said, whether that Messiah has come or is to come, it doesn't matter because whoever it is, he's going to solve the problem. But of course we know that the Jewish Messiah is going to be the Antichrist. I'm not saying the man's an evil man. He, does, he didn't, didn't know much about it. I'm not sure exactly. He looked like a sincere person, but um, he got it wrong there. But he got it right within the sense of that's the only solution. The Roman Empire persecuted Christianity for 300 years after Christ's crucifixion. 300 years. They killed a lot of people. Christians didn't even have an army. Christians had no army, nothing. All they had was prayer. And they used to give themselves up if they had to and die. That's all they had. Their faith, things like that. That was, looked like it was a done deal. They were going to be persecuted Forever looked like. The Roman Empire, very powerful empire. And yet, in 312, 313, I always get confused with that, St. Constantine was the emperor, not the sole emperor, I think, at the time, but he was one of them, saw a cross in the sky and said, with this, conquer. So he ordered that the cross be put on the helmets and the clothes of, these, of his soldiers. And he ordered a decree, the Edict of Milan, something like that, which stopped the persecution of Christians. 325, he called for the First Ecumenical Council. He, he financed all that. And then by the time of the other emperors, the Theodosius the Great, Justinian and all them, Orthodoxy became the state religion of the Roman Empire that were full pagans. Who would have thought that? But yet, that's it. I would say to people, China, very atheistic country, but it just takes, if God wants, and it comes times, whatever, that man there or someone else could see a miracle and the whole of China can become orthodox. 
And by the way, there are some prophecies hinting towards that. And who's going to help them? They say the Russians. But, you know, I've got to be careful of prophecies because they're very difficult to interpret. But there is talk about that, just like one-third of the talk, St. Paisio said, will one-third of the Turks will convert to orthodoxy. He told people, prepare, like start producing books in Turkish because one-third of them are going to... Many Jews will convert to orthodoxy. We're not in the days of the Antichrist yet because when the Antichrist comes, it's the end. Even Metropolitan Neophytos says, because he's into the prophecies, but he got this sermon. He can study them. I trust him. He said that there will be a time where there will be peace for a while and the Orthodox Church will triumph and many people will convert and after that, some, whenever, will come the Antichrist. So this is not the end. But that doesn't mean we're not going to go through a war. It doesn't mean we're not going to go through disasters. We are going through disasters. And it could be worse. We don't know. He speaks, um, there's not many done on, on him with the translations underneath. And I find his Greek a bit difficult because he speaks a bit of a Cypriot accent. They speak a bit differently. I find that hard. But anyway, he, he interprets the prophecies quite well. Now, why did I discuss, apart from that, that God can do miracles and this whole COVID thing, and a lot of it has. You saw up to a few months ago, uh, people were not shaking hands, nothing. And then we see Djokovic going up to Prince William and his wife and his little son shaking hands. And then you see other politicians shaking hands, no mask, nothing. When did this stop? When, did, when was it said that this is all stopped? I didn't even know. And one eldress, which I saw, a very, uh, I, think, I don't know her name actually, but I, I remember seeing some. She actually said, just as quick as it came, it can go. He said, she said, something else is going to come along to distract away from the COVID stuff. And what's that something? Ukraine. I'm not saying that COVID has stopped because they're still going for it. They're trying to vaccinate the world. Because Gates doesn't like overpopulation. A time will come, says St. Cosmas, when there'll be no harmony that exists now between the laity and the clergy. The clergy will become the worst and most impious or impious is another way of saying it, of all. The clergy will become the worst and most impious of all. St. Cosma said, oh, no, it can't, that can't be right because, but then again, you got so many things right. The carriage, the satellite, the telephone. That's why I read all those things. So I don't just go, because some of you don't even know who St. Cosmas is. I didn't want to go just cold turkey and say, bang, this is what he said. I wanted you first to know that we're, not, we're talking about a credible person. And he also said, about the 1912 when the two feast days come together. The clergy will become the worst and most impious of all. Are we living in those times? Well, I have something to read you. I don't think we'll get to it, but that there's a lot of truth to that. 
Father Basil Kapsukalivitis, 2009, he died. You will travel miles to find a spiritual sound priest. You will travel long distance to find a good spiritual father. Are we living in those times? I think we are living in those times because I get people writing for me from all over the world saying, oh, do you know someone somewhere in, uh, in, somewhere in Europe, somewhere here, somewhere there? I don't know. I don't know people over there. But it is very difficult to find someone. If you can find someone who is um, spiritual, like Father Frem's monasteries and things like that, that's good. Here, my silence, I think, says everything. Elder Athanasios, who was a, he was the abbot of Grigoriu, he died in 1953. Elder Athanasios regarded the priesthood with such piety and fee that when he later became abbot and tonsured some 27 monastics, he never dared to allow anyone to advance to the holy altar. What's meant by advance to the holy altar? In other words, even though he made 27 monks, not one of them did he actually say, now you can become a priest. Why was he scared to make priests? Because nothing is greater in this world than a priest, than an orthodox priest. Because an orthodox priest can, as we'll read, can bring heaven down to earth. The orthodox priest can reconcile fallen man to heaven. No one else. And he, it was such a big thing. And man, Athos, they don't make priests very easily. And he said, he constantly kept in mind the saying, quote, better with a prayer rope in paradise, better with a prayer rope in paradise than with an epitrahelion in hell. So, better to be a monk with a prayer rope than to be a priest with a epitrahelion but be in hell. What's he trying to say? That well, a lot of priests go to hell? That's correct. That's what he's saying. And I'm going to read you quotes in a minute. It's coming up now. Well, here we come now. St. Athanasius the Great. The floor of hell is paved with the skulls of bishops. Symbolic imagery. But he means that hell has got a lot of bishops down there. St. John Chrysostom said... The road to hell is paved with the bones of priests and monks and the skulls of bishops are the lampposts that light the path. It's all symbolic, but never that. He's saying you've got a road that goes to hell and they're all paved with all these priests and monks. But the, the, the one that's showing the way, the one that lights up the road, one can say, are the bishops. That's St. John Christum saying it. Don't blame me. Elder Savas, the Ayuriti, he said something about this, and he got this from the Exomulitarion. That's a book that St. Nicodemus wrote, and he wrote the following. There was a spiritual father who blessed his spiritual child to receive Holy Communion without restrictions, although he should not because of some deadly sins he had committed. And of course his spiritual child was condemned to hell when he died. 
The spiritual child then appeared from the other life to his spiritual father who was still alive and said to him, because of you, I'm in hell. And since I went to hell because of you, I will also take you with me. And in the same moment, he took his spiritual father to hell. These are in our holy books. The priest will give, the priest and the bishop will give the most word out of everyone in this world. One thing I don't like is to do confessions because of that reason. It's so, so scary and so bad. It's really, really difficult. Some do it willy-nilly. Oh, they just confess people. And by the way, the majority of priests today do not give penances. There are people communion that have committed abortions, adultery, homosexuality, pornography. There's all these things and the priests say, oh, commune, 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 commune. Traditional priests in Greece and the um, Father of Fremes monasteries, they give penances. But when you look at them, when you look at their spiritual children, you won't notice what you notice in today in the world of Orthodox Christians that look dry as. I don't mean to be offensive. An abbot of one of Father Frem's monasteries in America, he said, we had here people that were coming, married couples, who were committing very serious sins, very serious sins, like sodomy, which is oral sex and anal sex. And Father Frem says, this is the reason why there's a lot of problems today in the world because of those sins, which is worse than when two men do it, by the way. When married couple do it, men and women, it's worse. The canons say eight years if a man and woman does it. If two men do it, it's three years. That's how serious it is. Because there's no need for a man and woman to do that in that way. They've got the natural way. They can relieve themselves naturally. But they don't. They want to do these type of things which is demonically inspired. Elder Ephraim said to the, his priests, when people come to a confession, you ask them directly those questions. Do you commit those sins? And give them penances so they can stop. Because St. Nicolaus says the penances help for a person to stop. I've got people that write to me and ring me and they, they, they're doing sins. And they do it, and they do it. I said, what does your priest say? Oh, he says, I've got to commune to get strength. Oh, I've got to commune to get strength. And are you stopping? Uh, no. Uh, how long have you been doing that for? Oh, oh five years. So you've been communing for five years, and you can't work through your thick head. It's not working? You can't see that that's not working, what the priest is saying, he's telling you? Now, this abbot said to someone, when you see these people here, they shine like angels and they stopped because of penances. That's the importance of penances. And yet, they're not used hardly at all. And that's why there's no progress. And I'll tell you something, that's one of the reasons why God permitted this COVID stuff, as well as after-birth abortions, abortions, transgender, and every other horrible thing that's happening today. Like they give, the woman gives birth to the baby and then they say, and then 
we take the baby, like, like really loving, loving, really loving ways, if they were acting, which they are, they go, we take the child and we make it comfortable and then we have a discussion with the mother, what is she going to decide? Is she going to let the baby live or to die? So the mother's there on the bed, just, just, they just had the baby and she's got all this power now. And the doctor's there, so what would you like to do? As if she's Caligula. Death. Put the thumb down. Like they're a Roman emperor. That's it. Down. Sometimes they might have up. That's very lucky. But most of the time, death. Like you see on TV, those movies. And then they kill the baby. These things is what's causing a lot of problems, these problems in the world. We'll come to that. Come to that. So that's how heavy the responsibility is of the priest and the bishop. Remember in the canons, bishop and priest are the same. The, pre, the bishop only has an extra thing which is that he can ordain, he can ordain deacons and priests and bishops. Other. But basically everything else is the same. So even in the Bible when they call, when they say the overseer or something like that, they're referring to bishops and priests together as one. St. Meletios of Antioch 381 says, Do not show obedience to bishops who advise you to, to do and to say and to believe in things which are not to your benefit. For what pious man would re remain silent? Which says, what, how can a pious person that they say they're pious remain silent if the bishop is saying things that are wrong? Who would remain completely calm? In other words, who would remain calm when they see heresy or wrong things being done in the church? In fact, St. Meletheos says, one of the great saints, in fact, silence equates to consent. Which St. Gregory of said silence is atheism, the silence of Christianity. St. Meletheos is saying that if you are silent, you are consenting to the heresy or the immorality or whatever. Now we're going to go... Oh, by the way, St. Meletus was 381. Maybe it's changed a bit because some people say, oh, that was many years ago, like a priest here in Sydney. He did a sermon, he said, in English, he said, to the, said in the sermon that the star which the Magi saw that was moving in the sky was Halley's Comet. It was Halley's Comet. So a person that was there told me about it. I said, oh, look, just Farrakhot before him the um, interpretation of the star in Saint Theophila, the, the Bulgarian, Blessed Theophila the Bulgarian, who did the interpretations of the Gospels. So he took it to him and he looked at it and he smugly said, oh, what, what year did he live in? He goes, about, I think, 11th century. Oh, okay. Do you get what he's trying to say? They never had science then. But now with science, we know that stars don't move around like that, or whatever he was like. Of course they don't move around like that, because it wasn't a star, it was an angel. This is like, and these people come out of theological seminaries. Like, what was that? Because, oh, what year was that? Trying to show that the saints don't know. And they do say that. They don't speak the way that 
they should be speaking. They speak like that. They know. We know more now because we have science. Now, number 10, the holiness of the temple. St. Bagatios, which we celebrate in the 9th of July, obtained authorization from the ruler to build a church in the city. The building was quickly finished, and at its consecration, all those present could see an awe-inspiring fire descending and illumining the whole church. And before the saint had finished celebrating the divine liturgy, all the idols in the city were destroyed. Why am I giving you that? When a church is consecrated, there's the divine light in there. Can't get sick and all these blasphemies that they were saying to close the churches. Look at that. And after the divine liturgy, the idols fell. We weren't even allowed, people weren't allowed to serve liturgy for months in, a, in some of these lockdowns they had here. The, the Chernobyl disaster was a nuclear accident that occurred on Saturday 26, 1986 at the number four reactor in the Chernobyl nuclear power plant in the Soviet Union. Am I saying Chernobyl right? Yep, thank you. So, what is, why is he saying all this now, some will say? What's the Chernobyl got to do with COVID? Does anyone know? Or do you want me to read on? Let's read on. The initial emergency response, together with later decontamination of the environment, ultimately involved more than 500,000 people and cost an estimated roughly 68 billion American dollars. That's adjusted for inflation. That was a, uh, the number in 2019. It is considered the worst nuclear disaster in history, both in terms of cost and casualties, and is one of only two nuclear accidents Energy accidents rated at seven, the maximum severity on the international nuclear event scale, the other being 2011 nuclear disaster in Japan. Now I'm going to read what Father Savas, the, the Athenite, says. We have a contemporary example of a holy Orthodox church dedicated to Prophet Elias in Chernobyl, where the terrible, well-known nuclear accident took place many years ago. When that nuclear accident occurred, the whole region was contaminated with radioactivity. But the only church existing in that restrictive zone, that is the region next to the site of the blast, had zero radioactivity. There was no radioactivity within the church and the immediate surrounding area of the church whereas the surrounding region was full of radioactivity. This continues to, to be the case even now. Even though the remaining area is highly contaminated, not even nuclear radiation can contaminate an Orthodox church. What do we say to those bishops and clergy that say you can't go in the church? What's stronger, COVID or, radio or this nuclear stuff? This nuclear stuff will destroy COVID. They destroy everything. In other words, nuclear explosion is greater than COVID. And yet we weren't allowed to go into the church because the church wouldn't be able to cope with COVID in the air. It won't be able to cope with it. 
And there's another one, I'm not going to go through it. You can go through it yourself. Go to orthodoxtalks.com, videos and articles tab, click on section 3, other beneficial articles and videos. Go to items 5 to 8 about the holy fire. Scientists investigated that fire and they said they have never, ever, ever seen anything like it. The fire going on in the Holy Sepulchre on Great Saturday. Okay, I think is just one more thing and then we'll go to have a break. I want you all, because I'm going to now, uh, we have to do what was called mass vaccination. We're going to be all mass vaccinated now. Now some of you will say that I thought you were against, I thought you were against vaccination. Well I am, but this is spiritual vaccination. Okay, let's have a look. You've got waters there which you can take later on to, back to your seat. The following is not really an appetizer but a vaccine. It will help us not become infected with the don't judge disease. Don't judge, don't speak, don't do that. Canon 58 of the 85 canons of the Holy Apostles says, if any bishop or priest neglects the clergy or the lady and fails to instruct them in piety, let him be excommunicated, but if he persists in his negligence and in indolence, his laziness, let him be deposed from office. Interpretation. It is the bishop's indispensable duty to teach the laity subject to him the dogmas of piety every day and to adjust it to a correct belief and to a virtuous manner of life. The interpretation, by the way, is not mine, it's, the, it's in the Rada, it's in the canons. For God says through the holy prophet Ezekiel to the leaders of peoples, Son of man, I made you a watchman over the people of Israel, so hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. God's saying, I'm telling you the law of God, you say it to the people. He's speaking there. When I say to a wicked person, you surely will die, for example, if you do such and such and such and such, you will die. You've got to go and say that. And you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life. You don't do something to save their lives, their souls. That wicked person will die for their sin and I will hold you, says, says God, I will hold you accountable for their blood. So what I'm saying is that contraceptive pills, those pills, cause abortions. Some priests might say, I know that, but I'm not going to say anything because it's not fashionable. Women might get upset. I might get my face scratched. There's a lot of things that can happen. And I don't say anything because I'm you know, a bit scared or whatever. And it's not easy to say these things. People think it's just, oh, you just, oh, you reprimand this, say this, say, it's all easy. That's not easy. Priests who do that go through a lot. Not only do they go through a lot from the people, other clergy, perhaps even their bishops, but also from the demons. The demons attack viciously the priests who are 
reprimanding and helping the people to be saved. A woman rang up a priest and said to him, ever since I've left you, I've gone to the parish priest. I'm not feeling that I'm progressing. I want to come back to you. And the priest says, but I'm strict, aren't I? No, no, I need strictness. I want you. But I give penances. No, 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 I want to be. I want to be. Are you sure? You know that once you start to confess and if you're being helped, the demons attack. No, no, I want to. So it was on the phone because the person was far away. And she said, can I confess now? And then the, pri and the priest said, okay, I'll put, I'll put on the petrohelion, which is what we hang around their neck. So put the petrohelion, and the woman started speaking. Suddenly, the priest's throat closed up. He couldn't breathe. And he was hitting the chair, oh, trying, to get, trying to get his breath. Now, some can say, oh, maybe he ate some peanuts. Always trying to look, you know, look, look at logical ways. Now, I know for a fact that that's true. And I will tell you, 100%. When you try to work for God, when you try to save souls, the priest goes for a lot, but also the spiritual child gets attacked. That's why I've noticed I had one person come to me years ago when I used to do confessions and they said, um, I'd like to confess a thought that I have. He goes, um, I get an image. I get an image. I go, oh yes, what's, what, what, what's the image? That I've got an axe and I'm axing you like this. That I'm hitting you with the axe and chopping you up. Okay, okay, well... In my, when I was naive, I go, sorry, that's just demonic, don't worry about this now. Little did I know, it wasn't just demonic, that person had no repentance, and that person was had a bad spirit on him. That's how much, as you saw also from St. Nectarius, those who watched the film, that mad woman, she was madder than Mad Max. She was accusing... The, the saint of having sex with the no, this crazy woman. That happens all the time. doesn't matter, even if you are not a very good priest, even if you're a weak priest, whatever, as long as you are taken trying to save someone, you'll be sorry. Another woman said to me, I get uh, probably mentally ill a bit, but that's, that's who the demons can attack because they've got power over them. She says, um, oh, I get thoughts about you and I hear voices. I hear a voice. I say, what's the voice saying? You ready for it? The voice says, slander him, destroy him. Meaning me. Slander, make something up, destroy him, wipe him off. Now do you see why a lot of priests don't say much? It's very easy to say little Bible stories from the, from the uh, Anvon in Sunday. Today we see that Christ with his apostles were at an area where there was no food and this and that. Hardly no, mor no moral teaching. Do that explain anything. 
Just a story, that's it. They go home. Okay. We are up to page 34. We have sandwiches and snacks there, and then after that we will have a, we'll begin again, those who can take it. And then we'll have another little break, just a little break for waters and things like that. And then we'll have the finish the talk, God willing, and have some food. Okay. I forgot to mention that the prayer ropes at the back, the woolen ones, I got from a lady in Melbourne whose brother is a monastic in, on, on Manathos. They're in a kiddie, in Akasel, him and his spiritual father. And they get those prayer ropes made by the monks in the surrounding areas. That's how they make their money to live. Each knot, and each time they, they make the knot, I don't know what it is, they say, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, for every single thing. So they're the woman ones. A lot of the prayer ropes that are on the market now are from China. So I told her, give me everything you've got. So I bought about $1,000 worth, and the prices that we're selling them for is what I got them for. That I want to make money out of things that... that. So those prayer ropes, are, I know the other ones, the other silk ones are nice kind of thing, but the woolen ones are from Anathos, so um, if, you have, if you've got, you, the, other, the one that you might have could be Chinese. The books also at the back, which I will talk about, um, Abbas Makrina, which I'm going to discuss her in a minute, and the other one, The Soul After Death. We are just charging what it costs exactly to buy them and bring them over the mail, that's it. So... Um, I'll talk about her when we come to in a minute. All right. Just to make sure you understood, the canon which says that the priest and bishop has to teach the people is an apostolic canon. And the canon says that those priests or bishops who persist in not teaching the people through sermons, through reprimands, etc., are to be excommunicated. So it is absolutely necessary. That's the job of the priest. The priest is like a prophet. The prophets of old, in the Old Testament, some of you think that a prophet was one who foresaw the future. But that's not what a, just what a prophet did. A prophet will also teach people God's law the prophet will also reprimand and the prophet will also pronounce punishments if the people didn't repent. The priest is the same. I brought an abbot over here from Greece, from Corfu, Saint Spiridon, which I'm going to discuss him as well, the saint, Saint Spiridon. And when he came here, back in the 90s, uh, 80s, 80s, late 80s, and he went around to different churches. He said something to me, which I was a layperson at the time, 
And he said to me, the priests here don't even know what priesthood is. They don't even know what priesthood is. Australia has not one canonised saint. But St. Paisius said, when he was here in the 80s, he said that one day Australia will become holy with martyrs and ascetics. So persecutions will most certainly come. And we've got to be ready spiritually. Abba Pambo, I think you say it, Abba Pambo, 375, was a, a great saint of the church whose memory we celebrate today with the old calendar. In his prophecy about the clergy of the last times, he clearly says that they will not imitate the lives of the holy elders, nor will they listen to their counsels. Instead, they will be obedient to the powerful of the world and will seek the rationalist advice of academics. So this is his exact quote. The clergy will be indifferent concerning salvation, as much for their own souls as for the souls of their flocks, and they will despise any such concern. Now, to say it, this is a very, very heavy thing, very disappointing, very scary. He says the clergy in the last times will be indifferent, won't care about their own salvation, and they're not going to care about the salvation of their flocks. And anything to do with salvation, they will despise. It's funny to hear, not funny, but it's sad, that you cannot speak to a lot of clergy about salvation, and nor do they mention it in their sermons. They talk about vaccines, they talk about being good people, they talk about, but they won't talk about salvation. Why? Because it's not in them. They don't care. They will neither want to imitate nor listen to the lives and counsels of elders. Who are the elders? The bishops, the priests, not necessarily, some of them are. The elders are those who are grace-filled like St. Paisios, like St. Porfirios, like St. Yakovos, like Hierondes and Macrina, the one the book we got the back. They are elders, they are grace-filled. They are uh, full of the Holy Spirit. And we should listen to them, not necessarily to the bishops and the priests. They should listen to them. Of course, there were bishops and priests that would go and visit St. Paisios or Manathos, and others visited St. Porfirios, and many, many visited Mother Macrina, Abbas Macrina, of Volo in Greece. And from what I heard, the airport, Arizona, there was black everywhere. Black, meaning rasa, like I'm wearing. People from Crete, from Greece, would come to visit Elder Ephraim to get advice from a man who barely had an education. They're the people who these, who the metropolitans, the bishops, patriarchs, should seek their advice. It says they will neither want to imitate them nor listen to the lives and counsel of elders. The bishops of those times will be subservient 
in other words, obedient, compliant, etc., to the powerful of the world. And they will make decisions according to the gifts they receive from the money, from everywhere, and consulting the rational logic of the academics, meaning whoever gives them the most money and gives them nice presents, that's who they're going to listen to. And they're going to go and get their advice from rational, I mean the, the ones that work the things out with their brain, logic, the logic, of academics. And that's what happened during COVID. They didn't stop saying the episteme, which means the, the, the scientists, the scientists, the doctors, the professors, like, like they were choking on their own saliva of how much they were glorifying these people. Did you hear this talk about the saints? No. Did you hear him talk about elders that are living now? No. Fauci, Gates, the CDC in America, the one in the, there's another equivalent here in Australia. I don't even know what they're called. Um, the ones, uh, did someone know what they're called here? TGA. TGA. Oh, yeah. Dr. Zorica, good. So we have TGA, and in, in England, or the UK, they've got another one over there. I think their initials are C-R-A-P. <laughs> I think that's what they're called. I can't remember properly. But they all got similar initials. Some of them are called B-U-L-L. -L. That's another one. They lie continually and they've killed millions of people through their propaganda. And unfortunately, if you notice on the website, we specially put down, and we are I'm not into these memes, but I decided I think I'm going to do it. They're very powerful. So we had a, we had a picture of a bishop and he had the engolpio. Engolpio is that they wear the mother of God we, where the priest wears the cross. Some of them wear both, but when the bishop's in his black, he wears the mother of God, the engolpio. And what we did is we, we drew, drew the same thing, but inside the engolpio wasn't the mother of God because they don't believe in her. We put Pfizer. <laughs> so there was Pfizer because that's their God. If you saw that and the man was being obedient and was saying, yes, your, your highness, I've been vaccinated and the poor man had around 20 vaccines on his back. I've been, I'm, I'm up to date. No, he says, I'm not up to date, I'm sorry. And then I thought, why don't we put a hedgehog with all the, with all the pins and say, I'm up to date. Because that's the stage it's got to. What Abba Pambo is saying is that it's important that those clergymen monastics who have not reached a high level of spirituality Listen and submit to God's holy elders and eldresses, that is, those who have acquired the Holy Spirit. That's the safest way. And if you listen to Metropolitan Neophytos, constantly talks about all the Yaakov who he met, and Elder Evmenios, which I met as well then, and Elder Porfirios, and Elder Paisos, and he's just in the elders, the elders, the eldresses, the elders, the elders and the saints, and the saints, and the elders, and that. He knows, and that's why he's a very spiritual man, because he doesn't trust in his own logic. 
doesn't trust in his own judgment, but he trusts those who are of God. And that's what those bishops and priests should do, but they don't. And as a result of that, like some of them even say, we can't get advice on COVID from priests and elders, etc., because they don't have the knowledge of diseases and things like that. We even had one in our own diocese in the Russian church who was going against our bishop, for uh, Bishop George, for um, speaking against the, the injections, the, the, va the vaccines, what are they called? And, um, and I did something that I've never done before because I was in the email chain and I said, this is just too much. Because he said, the elders of Manathos stick to prayer and ascesis and do not get involved with the medical things of the world because they don't have the proper qualifications. So I wrote back without mentioning the, man, the person, I just wrote back to the bishop, I think, and I said, I found the following which are very interesting. Then I had Elder Porfirios, who spoke about medical things, St. John of Shanghai and San Francisco, who spoke about medical things, and some others that spoke about, in detail, about medical matters, having no, no knowledge about medical, about those matters, because they're enlightened. And this person that wrote this critique you know, this criticism against the bishop just goes, just, you know, he just writes and writes and writes and I was waiting for to be bombarded but I never heard anything. Why? Because he would have to go against the saints because all those things are documented. St Porfirios would sit down in rooms with doctors at the hospital and would discuss the patient and would even tell them sometimes what the patient had and how to treat the, 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 the disease. And this man had an education up to around second class. Now we come to 20 examples from the lives of saints where we read about contagious diseases, plagues, cholera, typhus, etc., uh, they were either uh, endemics, epidemics, pandemics, it doesn't really matter. And what we're looking for today, as I said before, is precedent. Remember, precedents are used when a court decision in an earlier case has similar facts and laws to a case currently before a court. Some judges have stated that precedent assures that individuals in similar situations are treated alike instead of based on a particular judge's personal views. Which is what's happening now. The bishops and primitives are saying their personal views, but they're not telling us what the church teaches on these cases. If the facts or issues of a case differ from those in a previous case, the previous case cannot be precedent. It's going to be exactly the same circumstances. Well, we're going to see now that the circumstances in the past were worse than what it is now. And yet, we hardly saw any of that being followed. There were bishops, priests, some bishop priests, very few, in ex-communist countries, Georgia, Belarus, Russia, went up in helicopters, sprinkling the area with holy water, had icons, 
doing processions when they were forbidden. They did that. Why? Well, that's why God permitted. That's why God permitted communism. And which countries got hit? Which countries got hit? Orthodox countries. That's the worst hit. Russia, Bulgaria, Romania, Serbia, Macedonia there. The only country they couldn't hit was Greece. They tried to bring communism to Greece, but they couldn't. Why? Because Greece, at the time, had full of holy elders and eldresses. Greece was too holy for them to do anything. Now, some Slavs might say, oh, you're putting down the Slavs. It's a fact. They achieved what they wanted in every one of those countries. But why did God permit communism to hit those countries? Because they were losing orthodoxies, during, especially during to the influence of the Western Church, Catholics and Protestants. Orthodoxy was on the verge of being lost in those countries. Just like orthodoxy was on the verge of being lost in the Balkans, as we hear from St. Nikolai. They lost their faith. A lot of the, it was too much. They were mixing too much with the other religions and things like that. And God sent them the Turks, like God sent to, the commun- to those countries the, uh, the communists, and cleansed them and saved them. And now we see for this COVID stuff, even though there are priests and elders and bishops in Greece, a few that are doing it, but there we see a really, really good defence against all this from a lot of these ex-communist countries because they went through communism and that made them stronger. Aeroplanes and litanies and holy waters. And that's a very, very, it's, it's an amazing thing. Let's do Holy Communion. St. Nicholas Planas, Greek saint, 1932. Papa Nicholas would refuse to distinguish between people regardless of stature, wealth, health, or any other differences. He served everyone. He gave communion to lepers. He walked many miles to visit the wealthy and the poor in times of need. Leprosy is very contagious, as you know. Yet one other incident reveals the unsurpassed faith and piety which he had in the performance of his sacred duties. He went one day to commune a leper, but the illness had destroyed his lips because you know they, they lose their fingers and things like that, so much that he could not take holy communion and it fell and, and, and it fell because he didn't have lips to you know and it fell a little to the side of his mouth. Without hesitation, Father Nicholas Planas knelt and took the divine pearl, the holy mistress, the body and blood, which had fallen and consumed it. Those who have a difficult time consuming because they fear germs should see this. What a blasphemy. And then the person ends, Oh, the irrational thoughts of darkened unbelievers, those that believe that you can get sick from the body and blood of Christ. Every week, when the, when the priest serves liturgy, especially on big days, where hundreds of people commune in one church, that communion is placed in hundreds and hundreds of mouths. 
And at the end, the priest or the deacon, if they've got a deacon serving that day, consume the whole chalice. One would think that if anyone wants to get sick, it would be the deacon and the priest. But yet you don't ever come to a church and go, oh, oh Father's not here today, he's got, he's got a flu. No, hardly ever. You never hear that. And they partake of the whole chalice. Now, back when there was the AIDS and still is, that's contagious. Priests at the time didn't know if that people had AIDS or if people are carrying other things, hepatitis and things like that. Priests never knew whether they had um, uh, flu was coming on and they were carriers. A lot of the Orthodox priests and clergy and that should have had AIDS and hepatitis and flus and diseases and yet nothing happened. But yet today comes the atheists, the blasphemers, and tell us that we're going to use separate plastic spoons and we're going to use methylated spirits or hot water. So they'll communion people and then the priest would put the spoon over the bowl and then someone was there pouring hot water or metho and then there's the next person. Why do that? Then they say, we found a canon by Saint Nicodemus that says that when the priest visits a person with an infectious disease that he is to clean the spoon later on with vinegar, which is like alcohol. Vinegar. They used that. In Russia they used it. Greeks were using it. There it is. When you hear, when you hear people using something that they found and say we're going to make a whole rule about that now, that's dangerous. That's what heretics do. Like they read in Saint... Isaac the Syrian says something there that was, and from that they make it into an orthodox doctrine or something, which is heresy. So in other words, Saint Nicodemus did say that. He said when a priest visits a sick person and later on he cleans the spoon with the vinegar. But Saint Nicodemus did not say you shut the churches down. St. Nicholas did not say you clean the spoon in church and furthermore, we see no examples in the history of the church for 2,000 years of that happening. So there's something then wrong. There's something wrong, not with the canon, but it's wrong to interpret that that Canon justifies them to close the churches down during uh, contagious diseases and, or, and to sterilise the spoon. Now, St. Nicodemus, apparently, there were some priests that had some problems con communing people that had contagious diseases. And St. Nicodemus, out of economy, like uh, economy means just that, allowed them, which you've got to clean the spoon anyway. 
because it's been in someone's mouth. doesn't matter. We clean the spoon as well. After we consume the chalice, we pour hot water on it, clean it, so ready for the next priest. doesn't mean it's got disease, but just that's how you do it. So St. Nicodemus said those, that those priests can clean the spoon. And apart from that, nowhere in history do we read that you do that in church, in closed churches, etc., etc. Nowhere. That tells you already that there's something wrong. That tells you that the way that they're doing it, they're doing it in a little foxy way. And presented it, and then people go, oh, St. Nicodemus said that. Must be true, but it does, Nicodemus didn't say to shut the churches or to do the other thing. So you've got to be careful with that. That's what they were using. Continue, though, in the beginning, they were saying, St. Nicodemus, St. Nicodemus. Firstly, they don't, they don't even care about St. Nicodemus, a lot of these bishops and priests. They think he was backward because he had these strict canons. Well, not even his canons, they're the church's canons. They didn't like him. A lot of them said that he was backward and fanatical. So all of a sudden he's good. Just like this Archbishop of Jordanville, Averki, he was talking about these uh, ecumenists and modernists that were going against those who were speaking up against them. And the, the Holy Bishop said, they suddenly bring out the book of canons full of dust, meaning they never use it, full of dust, and they open it up and they found a canon, oh, that canon, that means we now can defrock you. And all of a sudden now they're looking at St. Nicodemus, who a lot of them don't like, go, oh, look, see what he wrote here? That's how people like Origen, who was anathematized in the Fifth Ecumenical Council made up some beliefs that at the end the people are going to be saved and at the end the devil's going to be saved. Where did he get that from? He must have found it something, something there, somewhere there, some obscure teaching, and he made it into a teaching of the whole church. But that's not what we do. It's got to be believed by all, everywhere, at all times. That's the criteria for something to be orthodox. Where is it said that we close the churches or sterilize the spirit in church, believed by all, that means everyone in the Orthodox Church, at all times, everywhere, nowhere. One little canon. You've got to be careful. That's how they do it. They're very sp- So, for example, fanatical people that are, some old calendars that are fanatical, when we say old calendars, I mean those who don't, there's three types of old calendars. There's old calendars who are like Russians, Serbians, and Jerusalem, who are in the official church. Then there's the old calendars who believe that they are the only orthodox church in the world that have the truth and that everyone else is false. Then there's another group of old calendars, and we were once in communion with them, the Russian church in the um, 1990s around there, was the what we call the moderate old calendars that believe that there is grace in all the churches in the world of the official, but they don't want to be in communion with them because of heresy and they want to protect themselves and they have the right to do that. There's three types, but there's the fanatical ones. So once I went, in my younger years, um, I went to the nest. The nest means in Athens, I went to the diocese of the old calendars. So I entered the nest, the hornet's nest. And I said, um, I'm from Australia, etc., etc. Um, this is how stupid I was. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have done it anyway. But anyway. 
Um, that's when you're young, you're proud, you know, you think you can argue everything. So I went to there and um, they introduced me to a, a priest monk, Archimandrite. He says he's an Archimandrite, he's a confessor, he's a theologian. I said, wow, the whole package. <laughs> so we sat down and I said to him, Father, can you explain something to me because I'm, I'm a bit confused. I said, um, St. Photius the Great in the uh, ninth century, he sat in a synod and they developed a canon which says that if an Orthodox bishop teaches heresy, you can leave them. You should cut off from them. And they use that canon a lot to say, see, you shouldn't be with the communists. Can you explain to me why, even though that canon existed, the Roman church, which was one with the Orthodox, for a couple of centuries, for quite a few centuries, changed the philokove, they changed the creed, and said that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. We say the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. They changed it. That's heresy. That's anathema. The fathers of the first and second grand says, whoever changes the creed, anathema. They changed it. And relationships between the Greeks and the Romans continued, continued. So I said to the father, I said, can you explain to me why that happened? That was for, not for, that was for quite a few hundred years. So he stood up, went to his um, cupboard there, got me some magazine, gave it to me, sat down. Then I asked him the next question. The First Ecumenical Council declared that Pascha will be, com will be commemorated as such, the way they do it now. But in Asia Minor, in, where St. John, John, John the Theologian established the church there, along there, they were um, commemorating Pascha on a different day, on a fixed day, even if it's a Thursday, whatever, they, they celebrate like that. And even after the first ecumenical and the second ecumenical, they continued to do that. And I asked him, why didn't the church anathematize them and cut them off? He got up, went to the cupboard and got me another book. What these magazines were, I don't know. Magazines, unrelated to my question. I used to visit a paralyzed man in the chair. He had a lot of visitors and one of these visitors was an old calendarist. And he goes, oh, he knows a lot. I go, really? Oh, I wouldn't mind speaking to him. He goes, you? He would rip you apart. That's how he said it, like that rip with such a high tone. So, okay. So, one day I was at a house, and who was there? That old calendar person. So I sat down, asked him the same type of questions and other, and other examples. And... Um, because I was told this guy's aggressive. Ooh, when, he, when he gets going, he'll attack you. He'll stand up for orthodoxy. And then um, I had a conversation with him. What happened, I'll tell you in a minute. I went back to the paralysed fellow in the woodshed and I said to him, I, I met him. I met this fellow, Simeon, his name was. Simeon. I met Simeon. And I said, I asked him a few questions and I said, guess what? I didn't get ripped apart like you said. <laughs> he was speechless. Ignorance 
is very, very serious. There are a lot of people today in the Orthodox Church that are ignorant. They don't know much. I get people that ring me continually and going on and on and on and on. They do not know what they're talking about. They don't know the lives of saints. They don't know church history. They don't understand the ecumenical councils. Nothing. One woman rang up and said, all the priests that were vaccinated have no grace. I said, who tells you these things? Oh, one priest and a, and a presbytera in Greece. But who are they? Where do you learn these things from? Who teaches you these things? And she goes, the priest and the presbytera. I said, I, you rang me up for my advice. You're not listening. You're talking over me. You're arguing. He goes, no, I'm not. I'm listening. But you're not. You're talking over me. Then she started again. All the priests that were vaccinated have got no grace. They cannot do the mysteries. They can't do baptisms. They can't do confession. They can't do oliquin. They can't do nothing. And she was, yep, 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 yep. And I do what I always do. Cluck. <laughs> I've been clucking a lot lately. I'm not laying any eggs. Some can think I'm laying eggs, but that I'm just cluck, 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 cluck continually. I'm not going to tolerate these people. Ignorance is a cancer. Ignorance is what's causing a lot of trouble. I was at a Greek church years ago before I became a priest, and this woman came up. Did you hear it? Did you hear it? Sorry, what? Did you hear what he said? Sorry, what? He commemorated the Pope. I said, when did he commemorate the Pope? When? Because he commemorated I said, when? When? What part of the service? Then I'm going to call it. At the end, you mean when he was going through the saints? He goes, yeah. We have saints that are popes. Pope Leo. Pope Celestine. There's a, there's a, there's a orthodox saints, great saints. Oh. See the danger of it? And that's why don't get involved with things unless you're without the lives of saints. I can, you can always tell when you're speaking to someone that they don't read the lives of saints. When you quote from the saints, they go, I had this other guy that rang me up who called himself one name, and at the end he told me it was another name. I said, why are you using the other name for? He goes, I like it better. That was the first madness. I said, um, you don't change your baptismal name. You can't change your baptismal name. And he was going there and going on. I was asking him the same questions and he was going, but if you look at St. Mark of Ephesus, I said, no, no, St. Mark of Ephesus was the 1400s. I want to go back to the 1000s. I want to go back to the schism, to the schism when the Roman cardinals came into St. Sophia and they placed the excommunication on the altar of St. Sophia and said, the Greeks are excommunicated. They're no longer part of the church. And the Greeks were crying and crying and saying, don't do this, don't cause a schism. I asked this baboon, why would the Greeks, knowing that they're in heresy, knowing that the Roman church had changed the creed, why were they begging them not to? Because unity is important. Unity of faith is important, correct. When you break off a church, it's very hard to bring them back. And the church fathers knew that with change of a pope, a change of a bishop, change of, things change. 
and bring, back the, bring them back to orthodoxy, pray for them within the church. That's why St. John Chrysostom says, I'd rather be deceived in the church than to be outside the church and correct, one can say. Say correct, dogmatically. So you've got to be careful, but you can always tell them. I can always tell them. About, so I was talking to this guy, I said to him, but now I want to go back there. And I said, you know what? I said, you haven't got a good disposition. You don't have any thirst for the truth. I said, you're a very dishonest person. Cluck. <laughs> that was it. It never rang again. This is from St. John's um, book here, The Life of St. John of Shanghai and San Francisco. A woman was bitten by a mad dog. The injections against rabies, rabies she either refused to take or took carelessly. As a result, she came down with the terrible disease, you know, where they froth at the mouth. St. John found out about it and came to the dying woman. He gave her Holy Communion, but just then she began having one of, her, uh, one of the fits of this disease. She began to foam at the mouth. At the same time, she spat out the Holy Mysteries that she just received. The Holy Sacrament cannot be thrown out. So Vladika, that means, you know, desperate or whatever, the Vladika picked up and put it in his mouth, the holy gifts that was just vomited out by a woman with an infectious disease. Those who were with him shouted out, Vladika, what are you doing? Rabies is terribly contagious. But Vladika peacefully answered, nothing will happen. These are the holy gifts. And indeed, nothing happened. Calmly, nothing's going to happen. We don't need metho. We don't need to change the spoons. We don't need blasphemies. Nothing's going to happen. And this next story, which happened just recently, this is Transylvania in Romania. It was in one of their newspapers. At the age of 90, His Eminence Archbishop Pimin. We've got any Romanians here? Ah, oh, you're the Romanians. Okay, good. So it says here, Sukeva, is that right? How do, you, how do you say that? You don't know? That's why I always leave those places out. I just say, let's say Archbishop Pimin of a certain area died. The following is what happened. His eminence began to feel unwell on April the 16th, 2020. This is at the peak of COVID. He served the Paschal service with many clergy, even though his condition worsened the day after Pascha on Monday, April the 20th, 2020, he still served liturgy on Monday as well. After the liturgy, he got sick. So he arrived at the hospital in a state of emergency, weak and with a fever. He tested positive for coronavirus and was immediately transported by helicopter to a hospital in Bucharest. As a result of pulmonary complications, he was later intub uh, intubated. Is that how you say it? Mm. His eminence, Archbishop Pimin, was placed in intensive care where he died on bright Wednesday, the 20th of May, three days after Pascha. Now, intubation is when they put, they insert a tube through a person's mouth or nose, then down their uh, trachea, so airway, the windpipe. The, the tube keeps the, the um, windpipe open so the air can get through. The tube can be connected to a machine called a ventilator that delivers air or oxygen. And that's what they were doing for COVID throughout the world. Trump was very proud. He said, 
I made all these uh, ventilators and I'm saving a lot of people. But he didn't save a lot of people. What happened was those ventilators were killing people. The following is the announcement of the monastery word for word. Quote, we wish that you take into account that our hierarch, His Eminence Pimin, officiated in the Paschal Divine Liturgy as well as the next day, together with the rest of the fathers of the monastery of St. John the Numata. All of them received Holy Communion from the same Holy Chalice, as it happens every time in the Divine Liturgy, except for one, the deacon, who was performing duties in the altar, you know, taking care of the order of the services, and as indicated, he was of little faith, and perhaps that's why he didn't receive communion. He could have still communed, but he didn't want to commune. Now, after much discussion and the negative comments heard on television, the laboratory results of the tests of the fathers, they said, well, if Archbishop Pemin was infected, all those people that served with him and, and drank from the same, because when, when a bishop serves, first the bishop drinks from the club, the holy blood. Then he gives it to the other bishops. And then the bishops then give it to the priests. And then the priests give it to the deacons, etc., whatever. No, sorry, the bishops to give it to the deacons and the priests, and then to the people. So what they said is that, that to make, to, to show, they wanted to be smart, they said, let's test all the other priests that were in the altar, all those people, to see how many of them got positive for COVID-19. And to show the Holy Communion you can get sick. From all those who, under, who underwent the test, all were negative. Not one of them had COVID. In other words, all those who had communion from the Holy Chalice with the positively tested, contaminated patient Archbishop Pemin did not have COVID. That's my insertion. Now let's finish the, finish the announcement. Quote, all were negative and only he who did not have Holy Communion, the deacon, because he was tested too. Oh, he was positive. The deacon was positive. This was allowed by God for those lukewarm Orthodox Christians who approach the holy chalice, the holy cup, and the humble communion spoon with lack of faith, in other words. With lack or absence of faith. And we have many examples of that. We have a Serbian bishop who was t telling his priest to, to put on masks and tell people to put on masks, and he said, no, I'm not doing that. So he got the, he got the mask himself, and while he was going to do communion, and this fire came from a candle, which was far away, and the fire lit the, um, the red cloth that they used for the Holy Communion, and he burnt his hand, and he dropped the chalice. Then they changed it and goes... The fire was near the chalice and it caught fire. So in other words, while he's communing the people, the candle was underneath him. Have you ever seen that before? I don't think so. Or the candle was next to him. So as he's communing, awkwardly, uh, awkwardly because the candle's in the way. No, the candle was somewhere else and it shot and people saw it shoot over. The communion prayers tell us that these people are blasphemous. May thy holy body be for me the bread of eternal life, O gracious Lord, and may thy precious blood be a remedy for many forms of sickness, spiritual and physical sicknesses. 
another prayer by St. John Chrysostom. Make me worthy to receive without condemnation your pure, immortal life given in fearful mysteries unto forgiveness of sins and for eternal life, for sanctification, enlightenment, and strength, and healing, and at the end, health of soul and body. Then the one, the one that I love, the tenth prayer of St. John Chrysostom says, I believe, O Lord, and I confess that thou art truly the Christ, the Son of the God, who camest into the world to save sinners, sinners of whom I am chief. Furthermore, I believe that this is indeed thine immaculate body, and this is indeed thy precious blood. Wherefore, I pray thee, have mercy on me and forgive me my transgressions, voluntary and voluntary, in word and deed, in knowledge and ignorance, and grant that uncondemned I may partake of the immaculate mysteries unto the remission of sins and unto life everlasting. Amen. So in other words, we can get life everlasting from Holy Communion. We can get forgiveness of sins, which not even the whole world of the psychiatrists can give that. Not the drugs, nothing can give us forgiveness of sins, but only Christ through his church. We get all that from Holy Communion, but Holy Communion is limited to COVID-19. That you can get. This shows you their blasphemies. So, holy relics. During the translation, this is St. Nicholas, translation of the lyrics of St. Nicholas, May the 9th. During the translation of the saints' relics, many miracles occurred, either through touching the relics or from the myrrh that abundantly flowed from them. From the service, the Kentuckian says, we sing to the saint, thy relics have moved like a star from east Onto the west, the holy hierarch Nicholas, and the sea has been sanctified by thy passage. When the relics of Saint Nicholas passed the sea to go to this other place to hide them, because the Turks were trying to find the relics of Saint Nicholas to destroy them, so they took them over to Bari. It, it says here in the service, the passage was sanctified, the sea was sanctified. St. Thomas, the fool for Christ, April the 24th. At one time there was an outbreak of deadly plague in Antioch. The faithful prayed to St. Thomas to deliver them from this dreaded plague. After their fervent prayers filled with repentance, the plague ceased through the prayers of St. Thomas. He had already departed. The plague ceased. Now to understand that miracle better, what's a plague? A plague is an, is an epidemic disease that causes high mortality. In other words, a very high death rate. Second definition, an infectious epidemic disease transmitted to humans from rats by means of the bites of fleas, characterised by fever, chills and extreme physical weakness or exhaustion. Number three, a plague is also any widespread affliction. You could have a plague of grasshoppers, a plague of, you know, any widespread affliction, calamity or evil, especially one regarded as a direct punishment by God. And a lot of that time the word plague meant this is from God that's punishing the people for their sins. They don't use that word much, plague. They like to use pandemic now because it's too biblical, the word plague. You can have a, a plague of um, rats, you can have a plague of... Um, the grasses are grasshoppers, other things too. Diseases on plants that will eat the plants. They're called plagues as well. St. Artemius of Vercola, 23rd of June. St. Artemius was born in 1532, the son of peasants in the village 
of Vakola in northern Russia. He was educated in piety, like St. Basil of Ostrog, and from very young he showed a lively love of prayer. At the age of 13, on a day when he was with his father in the fields, he was struck by lightning and died. The peasants, seeing in this a divine curse, refused to bury him and left his body in the forest, only covering it with dead wood. Now, I like this story, that's what's going to happen soon, but also we've got to be careful not to interpret events. Oh, that man died in a car accident because it was God's punishment for what he's doing. This, I read, is one of the highest forms of blasphemy and judgment that we are interpreting things. One can say, the wall fell on St. Athanasius because he had some sins. We've got to be careful because God does allow this. When we read the service for the Soul Saturday, it says in there, O oh God, forgive those who have choked on bones, who fell off cliffs, who were drowned, who were murdered, who were buried alive, who, 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 who. And forgiving their sins doesn't say they had suffered all that because they were bad. Why do we hear that? Because it's up to God how he's going to take us. Some of us might choke on a bone. Some of us might die of a cancer. Some of us might die of COVID. Some of us might die from an accident. Some of us might be murdered. This is according to the way God wants. God wanted St. Athanasius, the Athenite, to die by the war for him. God wanted St. Artemius to die from, from lightning. God wanted Archbishop Pimin to die from COVID. At the age of 13, on a day when he was with his father in the fields, he was struck by lightning and died. The peasants, seeing this divine curse, re refused to bury much at all that. Okay, 22 years later, in 1547, Agathon, the... Um, the uh, Sacristan, that's the person who takes care of the church, of St. Nicholas, saw a mysterious light at the place that the child was left in the woods. Uh, this is 22 years later. After having discovered the child's body, he placed it in the narthex of the village church. After the discovery, the region was afflicted with a terrible epidemic. One of the faithful named Kalinikos, whose son was at the point of death, took one of the leaves of the elm branches which, with which they had covered St. Artemis' body and fixed it onto the sick boy's neck cross, and he was healed at once. When they began to sing hymns in honour of the holy child, Artemios, the epidemic completely stopped and many miracles occurred. Question, where would they have sung the hymns? What's the answer? Dimitri, do you know where? Well, where was the relic? Where do you think? Out in the open, they said they sang hymns to the holy child. So where would be the best place to sing to the Holy Child? In church. In church, where? In front of his relics. Where would the holy relics have been? In the church. But we weren't allowed to go to church. We weren't allowed to 
to um, pray in front of the relics. We weren't allowed to venerate relics. The next one is St. Spiridon, 12th of December. This has things in there which could make you a bit angry because you're going to say, well, why didn't we do that? Why wasn't that done now? St. Spiridon lived his earthly life in, in righteousness and sanctity and prayerfully surrendered his soul to the Lord around the year 350. St. Spiridon was part of the first ecumenical councils. He was uneducated, he was uneducated, and yet he did the miracle of the tile where Arius was refusing to listen and St. Spiridon said enough with words. He got the tile and he said in the name of the Father and fire shot out and of the Son and water came out and of the Holy Spirit and the sand was left. He separated the three. I think he did it again and it came together. And even though he never had theological knowledge, like many of the other fathers, but yet his miracle became known as a very, very, very powerful miracle to show that as the tile is one with, with earth, fire and water, the same as the Holy Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit are one. They're equal. Christ is not just the creation. Christ is God. The relics of St. Spiridon are incorrupt. The abbot that I brought here to Australia years ago, he was in charge of the church of St. Spiridon. Interesting life he had. He was born, him and then his brother, I think there were two of them. The father ran out and left the mother to take care of the two boys. In those days, it was very, very difficult to bring up children. She was on her own. She had no husband. So she made the decision to give up one of her children to someone to take care of because she couldn't take care of both of them. She decided to give up this particular person. His name was Christos at the time. Saint Spiridon appeared to her and said not to give him up and he said, I will personally take care of him because he's mine. Later on, he became the main priest in charge of Saint Spiridon Church. And every so often they change the slippers of the saint so they can cut them up and make them into what we say in Greek, philakta, like, so people can have them as a part of the saint. It's been sanctified from being in, in touch with, his, with the body. And he told me, well, because St. Spiridon's relic's black because of all the candles and the oil lamps and the candles and all that over the years, black. And he told me, he says, but underneath, his skin is still pink and soft. That's St. Spiridon. No, no theological degree, by the way. During 1629 to 1630, a contagious and deadly disease hit the blessed island of Corfu, Kirkida in Greek. It started in the villages and quickly spread to the town without mercy. It was the deadly plague. The plague used to hit a lot in Europe. But I put in square brackets, 
This was a real epidemic. The plague, without discernment, didn't care. The plague didn't care who it was. Daily infected men and women, young and old, rich and poor. The accursed pestilence caused the deaths of many in the city as well as in the villages and countryside. Pestilence can mean pandemic, can mean epidemic, can mean a plague, a virus. It just is an infectious disease. After the first cases, the island's administration quickly voted to approve a huge sum of money to be used to contain the spread of the disease, but their attempts were in vain. Not long after, the beautiful island of Corfu was on the verge of becoming totally deserted, like it happened in Sydney during COVID. Streets were empty, the, they couldn't bury all the people, they had to mass incinerate all the bodies, they dug holes somewhere in the country, buried all the bodies. Did you see all that? No, because it didn't happen. Because <laughs> it wasn't a pandemic. Shops, both in the city as well as the other major centres, were closed. The only things moving on the streets every now and then were a few horse-drawn carts loaded with dead bodies which took their horrifying loads of dead people outside the city for mass burials. The island was an overall tragic picture to behold, again because it was a real epidemic. During this earth-shattering tragedy and contrary to the recommendations of their doctors to avoid crowding. So even back then, the doctors were saying, we're, we're educated, you can't be together. And it's true, of course, you can get, it's contagious, you can, you can do that. But, but butt out of the church. You got your say outside. But, as a theologian in Greece said, you got no business in the church. You've got no business to dictate any of your stupid rules in the church. They say to wear masks in the train, you got to, that's it. That's their law. You want to have some guts and say, I'm not going to wear it? Do it. And what's going to happen? You might get a $100 fine. And yet, hardly no one dared them. And contrary to the recommendations of their doctors to avoid crowding, one day the faithful, in their great suffering and affliction, dared to gather together in great numbers at the holy temple of their patron of the island, Saint Spiridon. In the overcrowded church, I like that emphasis and I underlined it, in the overcrowded church, Reminds me of some of the things they were doing in Russia during lockdowns and COVIDs and all that. They, the, the, they were all together in church, thousands of people. They were together in processions. No, a lot of them didn't wear masks and some of them just wore it underneath here. Why? Because you can't breathe. And plus, and plus there's evidence they don't work. There's doctors that have come out that they don't work. Even, I think, the CDC of America, the Centre for Control Disease, whatever it's called, they said must don't work, but the who, the world, the world have told us to demand it. But they don't work. They make people sick. And then now they've got 
a whole plague, one can say, an epidemic of kids who, because they saw people with masks continually, don't know how to read a person, they don't understand facial expressions, and they're out of it. Because they had these masks on, and it made them sick as well, because they were breathing their own carbon dioxide and, and what else? Um, they begged with, with tears, burning tears for St. Spiridon's intercessions, that is, to be delivered from the plague, and help arrive swiftly and in abundance. Despite the shortage of necessary medicines, the fearsome epi epidemic very soon was confined to a minimum, and by Palm Sunday, it had vanished altogether three days later, after that in the church. The Akathus to St. Spiridon, Kotakian 7 says, Thou was shown to be a mediator for all before the Lord, O holy Horak Spiridon, wherefore we flee beneath thy shelter, seeking salvation. For we all have thee as our helper amid all necessity during famine, deadly plague, and all manner of misfortunes and trials. For this cause we cry out to God with thanksgiving. Alleluia. There's the Kentuckian. And I underlined deadly plague, that they even refer to the plague within the traparia of St. Spiridon. Miracle 2, 1673, 40 years after the first terrible epidemic, which you just read, the plague hit Corfu for the second time. Once again, the epidemic spread swiftly throughout the towns, villages and countryside. Like the first plague, the cases of infection and death were many. After the inhabitants of the island gathered at St. Spiridon's church, praying to him for a miracle again, not caring about contamination, the wonder-working saint heard the, the prayers of the people and he presented their repentance and tears before the throne of God. St. Spiridon took their tears, took their repentance, because there has to be a connection of repentance. We do not ask God for anything in our lives, anything, for our children, for anything, for our wives, for our husbands, for anything like that, unless your prayer is based on repentance for your and mine everyday sins that we do. God only listens to the prayers of the repentant. He doesn't listen to prayers that there's no repentance. The wonder work in saint, yes, we said that, uh, God accepted the prayers of the repentant people and the holy hierarch. The miracle occurred as follows. Day by day, the spread of the disease decreased to a minimum. And in the last days of October, it abruptly ended. The gratitude and thanks of the faithful people were once again immense. From then on, it was decreed uh, that on every first Sunday of November, there would be a procession of the saints' relics throughout the land throughout the island, in other words, so that the people, and especially the youngest generations, may remember the islands of true and ever-vigilant protector and saviour. And by the way, the island was under the Catholics then, under the, under the Venetians, if I'm, if I'm correct, and it was they who said we should have that. Of course, the, the relics of the saints were in the hands of the Orthodox. They did try to take those relics. They tried to take the relics from the Greeks from the Orthodox, the, um, the, the Latins. And what happened was that those people who tried, the ones who did, uh, were, were killed by lightning, etc. And they didn't try to do it again. One more miracle. 
In October 1855, cholera swept through Europe, something that often happened, causing the deaths of many in heavily populated cities. The island of Corfu was also hit. The first cases surroundingly appeared in the Manduki quarter of the capital city of the island, Corfu town. Medical assistance was unable to reduce or stop the catastrophic results. Great fear and trembling seized the towns and the and countryside and everyone began to panic at the news. Well, obviously, people began to panic now about the COVID, but the thing is, it wasn't much to panic about because the children were 100% immune, they didn't, nothing was happening to them, and adults that were healthy was 99%, basically. But people panicked because that's how the media wanted it. The media, together with the pharmaceutical companies, together with other uh, horrible people, they all planned this. Now with the monkey thing, the monkeypox, saying, oh, they show people with all spots. But that's only for active gay men. And then they had a vote, as you heard, and now they're saying it's a global medical emergency. The public all agreed to gather for protection in the church of St. Spiritum for Vespers. They called upon his assistance with tears and prostrations during three consecutive services of Vespers offered up to God and his saint. Because of the intercession of St. Spiritum before God, the island of Corfu did not suffer the same misfortune as had occurred in other places where the number, number of deaths were in the tens of thousands. So they were still dying, but not to the same extent as other areas, thanks to the saint. The watchful care and protection of the saint over the island became especially apparent the first Sunday of November, when people would assemble at the procession of his holy regs that was decreed in 1673, if you remember. They used to have every first Sunday, they do a celebration, taking the relics through the streets as celebration of the first epidemic. And this time, they did it again. At that time, certain people, like physicians and things, feared that due to the great concentration of people, the, epi the epidemic would spread rapidly. No one among the people, however, shared this fear as they set all their hope on the saint. Indeed, on, the day, on that day, the entire uh, populace, including those in the rural areas, they all came into the city to be part of the procession of St. Spiridon's relics. The two populations, meaning those from the country and those in the city, filled the square through which the holy relics were to pass. I've been present at those um, litanies, which is one at uh, 12th of um, December and the one on the first thing. The clergy served a supplementary canon, paraklesis, or in Slavonic, meleben, and prayed to the wonder-working Spiridon, and with tears and prostrations, they appealed to him to intercede before God. Great contrition, contrition means repentance, seized the multitudes, and it was an outstanding sight to observe the devotion and faith which the people cherished towards the saint. Wondrous is God in his saints. From that day forward, the decline in the number of victims was evident everywhere. And after 11th of December, the reports of deaths ceased. What's after? What's the day after the 11th of December? The 12th. And the 12th is the feast day of St. Spiridon. Divine wrath, God's anger in other words, and the epidemic, 
receded as the cholera disappeared in the face of the mighty intercessions of St. Spiridon. So let's just say COVID was a true, a true pandemic. And these bishops probably believed it. They were brainwashed. Let's just say they believed it. But why don't they know this? Who knows why they don't know this? The university, that's too low. Lives of saints, oh, our minds there. We do theology, we've studied theology. They don't even read the lives of saints. It's not even a subject in the university. Mm. In Greece in April 2020, um, so the churches were closed, we couldn't celebrate Easter. They didn't take the epidaphio around, but a couple of months later or whatever, there was a Greek um, Greek singer that paraded through the streets on a thing singing for all the... Okay, the epidaphio is what we do on Great Friday. We take out the, the represents Christ's um, tomb, take it around the church. Like the Russians do it, the Greeks do it. They didn't allow that. June shut down. They also allowed uh, marijuana clinics to continue. Bottle shops were allowed to continue. Probably brothels were allowed to continue. When the, when the AIDS epidemic happened, it, they didn't know in the beginning what it was from. They, after a while, it took them a while, they worked out it was to do with sexual activity of gay men. And the place where they were getting all these diseases was what's called gay bathhouses, basically a place where they do orgies. They never shut down those bathhouses because they didn't want to offend the gays. They shut down our churches, but not them. And as the lady just said, that they were doing other things and other celebrations that were all allowed, but not the churches. That shows it was demonic. Did the, any of the priests, except for a few of the bishops, speak up about that? No. Why? Because they don't believe. They don't read the lives of saints. Sorry, I don't think they even believe them. I don't think they even read the lives of saints. It is impossible to describe the gratitude which the people had towards Saints Brethren. The bishop at that time, Athanasios, composed a service of thanksgiving to the Lord and ordered that it be chanted in all the churches of that diocese. So they did another service. So it was like they always do things like that. Probably that miracle of the fire, they'll probably do a service about it. Now I wanted to say that I want to confess that I made a mistake, that you know, perhaps I spoke too much too negative about the bishops. Some bishops have composed services of thanksgiving to Fauci and Gates, to the World Health Organization, to the CDC. They're doing services there, thanking them from the bottom of their unbelieving hearts. Ecos 5, we see Spiridon, the great wonder worker, as an angel of the angels. For once the land was stricken with drought, uh, and suffered greatly from the lack of water, and there was famine and contagion, disease, contagious disease. And a multitude of men perished, 
but by the supplication of the holy hierarch, rain fell from heaven upon the earth, and the people delivered from this misfortune cried out in gratitude, Rejoice, O Spiridon, most miraculous wonder worker. That was the three miracles of Corfu, and all to do with the disease. And we can say, isn't that precedent? That's an example that we should look at today if, let's assume even if it was a real pandemic, whatever they believe, none of this was done, hardly. It was done, and I want to go through that, but not much. Now, someone can ask, or you might ask, why have we got St. Helenbos? Why do we do the five loaves and the, and the holy wheat? The quality of up to St. Helenbos. This is why I show you why ignorance is not good. St. Helenbos had a special gift of healing pestilent diseases. Pestilent is the contagious. I always thought pestilent meant pests. I didn't actually, even though I used to read those prayers for years, I didn't understand properly what pestilent is. And has often halted epidemics of typhus, cholera, and the plague. The gift is because of the final prayer which St. Helenbos did during his martyrdom. To appreciate the saint and to increase our faith in him, we need to read the life yourselves, because we haven't got time. But before we do this, we need to know what, what is, firstly, what's cholera and typhus, because I've mentioned that word, and usually I like to define words. Just quickly, cholera causes severe diarrhea and dehydration. People can get sick when they swallow food or water contaminated with cholera bacteria. The infection is often mild or without symptoms, but can sometimes be severe and life-threatening. Left untreated, cholera can be fatal within hours, even in previously healthy people. You can be healthy and bang, you're dead. Modern sewage and water treatment have virtually eliminated cholera in industrialised countries. But cholera still exists in Africa, Southeast Asia and Haiti. Typhus, an infectious disease characterised by a purple rash. Um, uh, headaches, fever and usually delirium, where you kind of... Crazy. In previous centuries, it was responsible for millions of deaths during wars and famines. Typhus can be transmitted by lice, ticks, mites, and rat fleas. Occasionally, cases continue to occur in areas where extreme overcrowding is common and the body lice can travel from one person to another. Now, let's see what, how did, why did St. Alambos, what did St. Alambos pray? Condemned to death, and brought to the place of execution, St. Alambos raised his hands to heaven and prayed to God for all people that God would grant them bodily health and spiritual salvation and that he would multiply their fruit of the earth. He also made the following prayer. This is the prayer that he did. If it pleases your goodness to ask a gift of you, I beseech your majesty and dominion to grant this favour to whoever should find or possess a portion of my relics and in whichsoever land he may be celebrating the memory of my martyrdom, may he never suffer from hunger or plague or pestilence or untimely death. The sign that someone is a saint is the fact that they are concerned for the world. That's the sign that they have the Holy Spirit. Saint Siloan, that's why I brought the book Wisdom of Man Athos. That's one of the. That's an excellent book. Christ is in our midst. Is an, we see our our person that takes care of the books. She had an accident. She can't carry heavy through. That's why you only have one table day of books. So I brought I, I brought the the soul after death book, which is a thick one. That's enough. That's basically got everything in it. The smaller one is a little bit of a summary if you want the summary. 
Gironda Macarena, we're going to come to her, is an excellent book. There's a few other things there, some icons, little things. The prayer was already explained, and that's it. So it says here, from the service of St. Harlembos, the Vesper, today all the Christian land of Greece is joyful and does boast for it possesses thy head, which like a fountain pouring out mighty streams of healings and great riches, free of cost. Its grace is never spent, doesn't run out, and it drives off the all-destroying plague, every pestilence, which is again contagious disease, all maladies, sicknesses and diseases from all men that call thee blessed. So why on earth, if this saint, which a lot of you don't know, has, is like a saint for plagues and pestilence, why weren't we told this so people can pray? Why weren't services done to St. Alambos during this supposed, lockdown, uh, supposed um, pandemic? Did people know? How many people, I'd like to know, how, how many people knew that St. Alambos is especially this, a saint that helps in times of plague and pestilence? How many people knew that? Okay. Now I'm going to read to you one more thing. Oh, no, sorry. Since the time of his martyrdom, numerous miracles of healing from disease have been attributed to him and especially to places where he, his relics visited. Among these, he delivered from plagues and epidemics the following. In 1728, St. delivered the island of Zakynthos in Greece from Black Plague. In 1812, St. delivered the city of Iparos from the plague. In 1908, St. delivered Mount Athos from a deadly epidemic the epidemic halted immediately, and since then, each year, the monastery celebrate an all-night vigil honouring St. Alambos. Now, this is, this is no, I, I didn't know this myself. The only saint besides the Mother of God to be so honoured by the entire population of Manathos is St. Alambos. After the Mother of God, they venerate St. Alambos because that plague that, 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 that hit them, the, the epidemic there, would have wiped out the whole of Mount Athos. In 1930, St. delivered the village of Avra in Kalambaka, which is Greece, from scarlet fever. What happened was, during, during the COVID, the monasteries of Matera, which is in Greece, where they're on the mountains, these skinny mountains and they're on top, no one knows how they got built, and Mount Athos, joined prayers, them in Manafos, them in, in, in Meteora, and prayed to San Halalambos to free the world from this disease. And there's nothing wrong with that. People were still dying, so we should, should pray. Okay. getting there. We'll have now a, um, a five minute break for water and other needs and then we'll do a bit more and then we'll finish. Those who don't have the guts to stay because it's too much for their sleep, for their nanny, are welcome to leave. But remember a lot of you did stay up to watch soccer matches and watch other things and watch um, America's Got Talent and all these other stupid shows. And, um, but somehow, because it's spiritual talk, oh, I've got to go to my beddy.
I know the chairs are uncomfortable, and you're welcome, I should have said it in the thing, like I've got problems and I have to have the special pillows, temper are the best. They're expensive, but they're very good. <laughs> this is the same cushions that the NASA uses for those people that are in the um, space shuttles other than up in the sky, because it actually um, doesn't cause problems. So um, maybe Temper might send me some free um, pillows because I advertise their stuff tonight. Okay, quickly go and have something and then... So, so far we've gone through Holy Communion, relics. Now we'll do a few icons, just a few. Uh, the, from the service of the wonder-working Vladimir icon of the Most Holy Theotokos, a very holy Russian icon, 23rd of June and, 20, and 26th of August. I'll just read um, the Traparia. And all the people praying with compunction, meaning repentance, bowing low before thee and lovingly kissing thine image. And they pray, saying, From all misfortune do they ever save the city which honours thee. I like this Traparia because it says, Lovingly kissing thine image. And yet, a lot of the clergy said that you shouldn't do that. Now, a lady just came up to me before and said to me now, even right now, that she went to a church and it was said there uh, at, at the, um, the sign was saying, do not come in without masks. They're starting again for this homosexual type of uh, disease, as she did the um, monkeypox. Uh, got nothing to do with you people, but yet... Wear the mask, and he said, uh, and then, then he gave a sermon, and he said in the sermon that you have to do, you know, vaccinations, do this, that. So they're still going. They're still going. Now, our friend Stephen from Canberra said that in his church, because someone asked me, do I know where the relics of St. Halambos are? In his church of St. Demetrius in Quimbian, is that right? Has the, how do you say it? Quimbian. Quimbian has the relics of St. Aralambos. Now, I'm sure probably maybe other churches do here as well, like Russian or Greek, but you're going to have to ring them up and say, do you have the relics, if that's what you want to venerate them? Do you have the relics of St. Aralambos? And could we venerate them because we have some you know, special needs? And see what happens. Maybe the monastery, the mother, uh, the mother of God of Kazan monastery at Kentland might have, they've got a lot of relics, maybe they might have some of St. Aralambos. So... How can we ask the Theotokos to save us from all misfortunes if we do not honour her by lovingly kissing her image because we might get sick? We don't honour that. Remember, as the next prayer is going to tell us, something really serious, which is what made me change my view on the masks in the church. As I said, I was ignorant, didn't know much. From the service to the Kazan icon of the Masori Thodokos, 20th to 2nd of October and uh, 8 July. Thy most pure icon of Virgin Thoros is a source of spiritual healing for the whole world. And having recourse thereto, we bow down before thee and venerate, kiss and honour it, drawing forth therefrom the grace of healing of bodily infirmities and the passions of the spirit. And thus we are freed by thy supplications. Again, referring to physically venerating the icon. Now, we're going to hear... Sorry, I made a mistake. It's the next one, and then I'll explain it. 
This one is a bit um, heavy. Let's see how you cope with it. And if one does not reverence, this is again from the Kazan icon service. And if one does not reverence the most holy Theotokos and does not venerate her icon, let him be anathema. For she puts to shame and destroys those who do not honour her and delivers from great misfortunes and evils her good-hearted and God-fearing servants. The mother of God looks favourably to those who venerate her icons, not to those who don't venerate her icons. And it says anathema. You know what anathema means? You're cut off from the church. You cannot be saved. The canons, which we got from the Seventh Ecumenical Council, it says you must kiss the icon. Now, those canons did not say, however, in times of plague, in times of disease, in times of cholera, in times of times, you do not venerate icons. Nowhere does it say that. Nowhere does it say that in any of the canons of the church. Nowhere does it say about Holy Communion. Nowhere does it say you can't kiss relics. Nowhere, nowhere, nowhere until COVID-19. All of a sudden, we're told that you can get diseases and that you shouldn't venerate them. In some churches, they had CSI um, tapes on them, just about. You know, there's, you know, in the CSI movies, they've got these tapes, you know, police, keep out. Well, on a lot of icons, they had tapes, or they took them away. That is blasphemy. That is absolute blasphemy. And that's why when people say to me, oh, you know, the priest, you have to do it because the bishop told me, no, 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 don't, don't give me that. The next one from the canon of the mother of God, quick to hear. All them that show reverence and love to thy godly icon, O virgin, O sovereign queen, quick to hear, rescue from diseases, both of body and of soul, from invasion of enemies, from pestilence, that means contagious diseases, famine, earthquake, fire, and every other terrible misfortune. That's what it says there, the exact word pestilence, diseases, contagious diseases. Quick to hear. That's a, a, a miraculous icon that's on the, it's, it's in the monastery of Dokyari. Like We have 20 monasteries in um, Manathos. All of them have got miraculous icons. And during the COVID period, I don't know, maybe not all of them because some of them are, um, uh, some of them are crazy and they all got vaccinated. But the majority of monks of Manathos did not get vaccinated. All the father, uh, friend monasteries, Karakalu, Filotheo, Xeropotamu, Xeropotamu, none of them got vaccinated. St. Paul's Monastery, I think maybe one, hardly any. The Nisiu Monastery, all these good monasteries, spiritual monasteries, they didn't get vaccinated. Now, the Vatopedi, the abbot, who was going around telling people, I don't see any problem in wearing a mask. He's an abbot there, abbot um, Ephraim. He says, I don't see any problem wearing a mask. Well, who cares what you think? No one cares what you think. In his monastery of 120 monks, it was basically half, but more did not listen to him and did not get vaccinated. Now, again, shocking, just like Father Stiglianos, Kapathiu, who said that those who are being venerated wear masks, that should be chrismated. I'm just saying what he said. There was an abbot of Manathos who, who did not allow monks who were vaccinated to commune. Was he fanatical? I don't know. 
Don't know. Something's going on there. Something serious is going on there. The church building. This is what Elvis Sava says, the Ayuriti. He quotes the following. If you know how much blessing comes during divine liturgy, then you would gather up even the dust from the floor of the church to wash your face with it. We on Mount Athos would even gather up the dust when we swept the church. We did not throw it away in the trash. What was swept up from the church? Instead, we burned it. St. John Christum tells us that even the dust from the holy relics is filled with divine grace. That's why you do not throw in the garbage bin, for example, old icons. If they're old, you can't use them anymore, you burn them and put the ashes, bury them. Anything that's holy, you burn. You, you do it like that. In, in the monasteries in Greece, they have what's called a honifterial. That means that there's a, like a well where they throw things in then into the ground. And when they wash their face after communion, which we have too at our monastery, it goes into the ground. The pipe goes into the ground, into an irrigation pipe, an ag pipe. Where's our plumber? Yeah, ag pipe. Is that how you say it? Ag pipe. And it just diffuses into the ground because it could be communion on my, on my lips. So we've got to wash our mouth into the sink, into the ground. We've got to be careful for these things. Andidro, you don't throw the crumbs in the bin. You don't throw the rest. You've got, to, you know, you've got to be careful of these things. When you clean an icon, the rag, you don't throw in the bin because it just wipe the holy the icon. All icons are holy. You don't throw it into the bin. So the dust, even the dust in the church is holy. And the dust, on, even on the holy relics, the dust which sits on the holy relics is filled, St. John Chrysostom says, with divine grace. But we were told differently. St. Joachim of Ithaca, that's my, my father's from there, island of Greece on the uh, west side. Uh, he became the holy protector of the island, bringing epidemics to an end, chasing away invasions of grasshoppers and healing the sick and infirm. During an epidemic of plague, which was raging in a village, he had the inhabitants build a church. So he had the inhabitants build a church, and after he prayed in it, the plague significantly decreased. After he prayed in the church. This is all contrary to what we were told. Father Cosmas of Grigorio Monastery, Apostle to Zai, which is now said the Republican of Congo, I think, something like that. Father Cosmas lived in Rigorio Monastery and he had a desire to go and do mm. missionary work in Africa. He got the blessing from his abbot and he went there and he did a lot of work and he helped a lot of Africans come to the Orthodox Church. Due to an epidemic, the people of the village in Zai now the Democratic Republic of the Congo, were all suffering from diarrhoea and vomiting. A native priest, Father Yakovos, was with them and counselled them all to gather in the church to pray and drink holy water. All forbidden. All that was forbidden to us, but in, during this epidemic in Africa, um, years ago, they gathered to church to pray drink, and drink holy water. They all prayed using the prayer rope, Calling, God, calling upon God to help, drinking some holy water and prostrating themselves before the icons of Christ, the Mother of God and all the saints. When I say prostrate, it means they venerated the icons. 
This is a very nice story, this one. This comes from the book called... Uh, uh, oh, I don't know what the name is. Anyway, it's, I think it's called Father Kuzma's Apostle to Zahir, something like that. The disease did not affect a single member of that church, nor did any of them die from the epidemic. Everyone was amazed by the miracle of this parish. The Roman Catholics and Protestants wondered why it should be that the Orthodox did not die. Why? Because they had what's called Orthodox priesthood. A Roman Catholic priest can't even bless holy water and make it go not, not to go off. They've got to put salt in it. An Orthodox priest, even the worst Orthodox priest, even the most sinful Orthodox priest, when he blesses the holy water, it doesn't go off. It can last for years and years and years. They do not have holy relics. They have some relics, but they're wax dummies, a lot of them. They're not like our relics. They have nothing. Saint Simeon the Stylite, the younger, 24th, there's two Saint Simeons. This is the younger, 24th of May. In 542, a terrible plague fell upon the Byzantine Empire. Brutally strike because the noble and Antioch in particular. Why those two cities? Well, one reason is because in cities where more sin occurs. But also there's other reasons as well. 542, very important date. Those who begged for St. Simeon's help were spared from the plague. St. Simeon predicted that an earthquake would rock the city of Antioch in 551. This is exactly what happened. For several days, the terrified inhabitants prayed night and day because those earthquakes sometimes occur for years, days. They travelled to the wonderful mountain where Saint Simeon was. They begged the man of God to, be, to beg the man of God to intercede on their behalf. And indeed, Saint Simeon's prayers put an end to the disaster. Now, why these these dates are important? Because um, oh, I'll do it later. Saint Gregory Palamas in 1350. In September of 1350, while Saint Gregory Apalamas was living in Limnos, a Greek island in the northern part of the Aegean Sea, a deadly epidemic struck one of the towns. See, one town, why is it not an endemic? Why was it an epidemic? Because, the, because it was spreading, it was increasing rapidly. While an endemic stays constant. This was the infamous bubonic plague, commonly called the Black Death. This happened during 1347 to 1351. On an average, it's said that nearly half the people in each of the regions that this black, that this bubonic plague was also hit other areas in Europe, it would take at least half the people in that region, and it was a painful death. Victims rarely lasted more than three to four hour days between in initial infection and death, a period of intense fever and vomiting during which their lymph nodes swelled uncontrollably and finally burst. Just in Europe, it is estimated that these type of plagues took 25 million people from the Black Plague, this, this Black Plague. And that, that, that didn't last a few years, it lasted for decades, some of these diseases. Uh, so lymph nodes are located in many parts of the body, including the neck, armpit, chest, 
abdomen, the belly, and the groin. So that's to say, you know, the lymphodes, they're around, you know that, and they can swell even now. I had one, I think, that was, um, where was it? I can't remember now. Anyway, and that hurt a lot. I think you take, uh, what do you, where's the doctor still here? What do we take? Is it antibiotics? Antibiotics, yeah. It depends on that, yeah. Um, the suffering people of the plague infested town begged St. Gregory to visit and help them. He was living. They hadn't gone yet. He was living in another town on the island at the same time. Without hesitating, he went immediately to the town. He had no fear that he would get sick. Others, such as the clergy and doctors who could have been a help to the suffering people, did not follow the saint to be in, because they were scared of being in, infected. Some decided to follow St. Gregory because of their faith in him. He inspired them to not fear the disease. When they were near in the town, they were horribly struck by the polluted air and stench. The next day, St. Gregory and those with him offered prayers and supplications together with the whole multitude of people outside the walls of the city. There we go. Outside the walls. I've been wrong all this time. See, they did it outside. They didn't go in. This is contradictory. Well, let's see. Is it contradictory? He also formed a procession with all the people that they may entreat God to put an end to the death toll. Without thinking about his own health or, for that fact, his own life, St. Gregory visited those areas highly infected where many would not go out of fear of being infected. They were in their houses. After fervent prayer and supplication, the epidemic ceased on the island from the, follow from the following day. St. Gregory, pray, on, pray to God for us sinners. So it was that they said, oh, outside the walls, outside the walls. No, he went into the city. And St. Vasinius the Great, on 6th of February, in 542, same dates, very close, so 540 is the other one. When the Roman Empire was devastated by a terrible plague, St. Vasilius the Great was begged to intercede for the endangered world. The world was in danger of becoming wiped out because the disease was spreading everywhere. He indicated at that time, in a disguised way, that there was one, that he was one of three men, quote, perf perfect in the sight of God, who had surpassed human nature and had received the power to bind and to loose. They stand in the way, preventing the entire world from being annihilated with one blow. And thanks to their prayers, God would chastise with mercy. So he was saying, at that time, there was three men who had, re who had reached such a high level that they could pray to God to avert these things, these disasters. It says they stand, these, these people stand in the way preventing the entire world from being annihilated with one blow, meaning that something can come along like a disease with one blow and wipe out a lot of people. And thanks to their prayers, God will chastise with mercy. In other words, people are being chastised, meaning they are being, uh, I'll use the word punished, I don't like that word too much, but if they're being chastised, they're being reprimanded by God. And he's saying, your sins are too much, and because of that, I'm now going to send certain devastations, whether it's drought, whether it's famine, whether it's wars, whether it's whatever, 
That's why God does it. But when the saints pray for us, then God's chastisement is with mercy, not as harsh. This disease, I believe, could have been worse. And I think they aimed it to be worse. But I think the prayers of the, of the saints, and there are so many saints that are hidden in Russia, in Greece, in Manathos. We don't know who they are. And they're praying. Now I'm coming to 18, which is very important, which is what I was going to write on my, in my article, but I, I left it, but I'm going to do it now. I'm finally, I'm going to do this. Before becoming Patriot of Antioch, our Holy Father Ephraim held the rank of military commander. In 526, Antioch suffered from another terrible earthquake that destroyed the city and killed many of its residents. Though most of the Byzantine Empire laid within a region of vulnerable to earthquakes, with one recorded for almost every year of its history, like that area there, um, the Byzantine Empire was, a lot of earthquakes, you know, nearly one of the years. This one was the most devastating. Why? You have to ask why. It brought most of the city's buildings tumbling down, leaving citywide debris and rubble. Large houses, churches, a circus, stadium, paths, city walls, numerous public buildings and mosaic pavements were affected. Many Byzantines interpreted earthquakes and other natural phenomena and heavenly signs as either signifying a forthcoming disaster or divine displeasure at the sins of the people. What sins were the people doing that caused this earthquake? Well, Nicholas will like this, I think. He's into all that. Let's have a look here. I was speaking to Father Kiprin one day in America there. He's from America. He's come to visit his father. And I said to him, I have a theory, but I haven't found much on it. But I believe the disasters that used to happen in the Orthodox Church in the world that are because of heresy, more than the sins, like fornications and other sins like that. Heresy is the worst. And I said to him, you know, I was thinking, um, Antioch, Jerusalem, and Alexandria in Egypt, they all fell very close to each other from the Muslims. They were Byzantine cities, areas, they all fell to the Muslims, early 600s. And I said to him, I wonder what was going on at that time. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a heresy going on. And that's why God permitted that to happen. So what I made from the prologue of Akrad, I made a list of um, all the ecumenical councils. And I circled all the years. The first was in 325. The second was in 381. The third was in uh, Ephesus 431. And the fourth, to do with the monophysites, was in 451. The fifth council was in Constantinople in 553. And the sixth council was in 680. The seventh was in 787. When I read the history of the church, the lives of saints... And I, and I look at these things, I always refer back to this. 
to see what was going on. And um, I'm going to tell you now. This is what I was looking for all these years because I don't like to give my opinion. I might say something which is wrong and cause scandal. But I finally found one thing. Most, this is now back to St. Ephraim, the, the, um, this is to do with, that, with those earthquakes. Most believed that the Lord was punishing the Christians of Antioch because some of her citizens accepted the heresies of Nestorius and Eftichius. Nestorius was condemned in the Third Ecumenical Council. Eftichius was an archimandrite of Constantinople who created a heresy to supposedly combat Nestorius that said that Christ isn't God. And then they went to the other extreme and said Christ was only God but not human. Eftichius, by the way, was the assistant to Saint Kirill of Alexandria, the great Saint, Saint Kirill, and he was Saint Kirill's assistant in the Third Ecumenical Council, which occurred in 431. Twenty years later, in the Fourth Ecumenical Council, Eftichios, the same person that was proclaimed in the Third Ecumenical Council as being the Orthodox, he helped Saint Kirill, he was condemned and anathematized as a heretic, the same one that was in the Third Ecumenical Council of one of the Holy Fathers. Eftichius was condemned as a heretic. That's why people say, oh, but, you know, because he's holy or because he's this or that, how can he be doing wrong? Don't say that. One person said to me, Father, I'm not getting vaccinated because out of respect for you. I said, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to do it because of what you read in the article of what the elders say, what the priests say, or the good ones, and what the doctors say, the good ones. I don't want you to say that because now I do a respect for you. And I was becoming very angry. That's not me. I don't want you to believe what I'm saying because I said it. That's like a stupid worship of some description. I don't like that. That's not what I'm teaching you. I don't want you to believe in me. I want you to believe in what the elders say, what the saints say, what the Holy Fathers say, etc. If you're going to believe in me, like that silly man said, I tell you what's going to happen. One day... I might fall into something. I could fall into something immoral. He might see me one day smoking a cigar, which I don't, even I get cravings. So he might see me um, smoking a cigar. He might see me drunk one day. Etc. What is he going to do? What is going to be his mentality? Oh... All these years I believed in him. I reject everything of what he said. That's the danger. And that can happen. Anything can happen. I don't like that. Don't do that. We're all vulnerable. That's called like a worship type of thing. It's no good. 
I think I was on a point, but I can't remember now. I think Saint Nikolai will help us. I think is that Saint Nikolai? I think he'll help us with this, which I found. And even though I read it every year, I don't think I registered it. May the thirteenth, a homily of Saint Nikolai. He said, "Is not this a hard saying? Who can be nourished by it? A pagan, idolatrous king is called by God, my servant. God called." this pagan king, his servant. If a servant of God is one who knows the true God and keeps his laws, then how can one be a servant of God who does not know the true God and keeps his laws? Indeed, the true servant of God, says St. Nicolai, is he who knows the true God and who keeps the law of God. However, when he whom God has given knowledge of himself and his laws turns knowledge to ignorance and law to lawlessness, then God takes as his servant, him who does not know God, so as to punish the apostate. For an apostate from God is worse than a pagan, and an apostate from the law of God is worse than an idolater. So many times when the Balkans went off, as we'll see soon, the Christians had become off, who did, who did God bring? His servant, the Turks. What did God do to a lot of the Slavic countries? He brought his servant, Stalin, Lenin. They became like a servant of God. Not that they believe, and they got theirs later on too, but he uses them to bring people to their senses, people that had gone off, people that, were, that had, that had fallen in, fall into apostasy, people that were doing sin. Now, I like this part. For an apostate from God is worse than a pagan. When someone knows the truth, when someone's a Christian and falls away from the church, they are worse than a pagan. And some people, which I get letters continue about this, commemorate people who have left the church, people who have changed their religion. You can't put into the proskomivi, you can't put into the liturgy, you cannot commemorate someone who has categorically said and blasphemed that they don't believe in God, that they don't believe in the church, they blaspheme the mother of God, they blaspheme the saints. You cannot put them in the liturgy. It's forbidden. You ask private prayers for them. So I've got to go through this all the time on email. And yeah, some people may become Jehovah Witness. Some people may have become Protestant. And they put them still in the liturgy. Because they were once orthodox. No, you do not put them in the liturgy. It's forbidden. What happens if they if they fall into fornication? Well, strictly speaking, they shouldn't be commemorated either. If they are uh, audaciously falling into sin with no repentance. However, there are many out there who aren't even aware that what they're doing is a sin. They might say, well, then why should we be commemorated? Well, because we're supposed to be fighting and struggling and repenting and confessing and fighting, repenting, confessing, etc. Those people can be commemorated in the service, but those others cannot be commemorated. However, there have been times when, for example, someone's doing really bad sins, but they are totally ignorant. Now, this is my own personal experience. It doesn't mean I'm correct. That's my personal experience. I'm inclined to commemorate them because they're not consciously going against God 
They're just totally ignorant. They have no idea. And a lot of times when you commemorate them, they change. So, but as I said, strictly speaking, uh, only those who are struggling Orthodox Christians are commemorated, and I've got proof of that with a lot of saints' quotes, but I, didn't, I'm not, I haven't got time now. So when, we'll, we'll do that one day. And so when Israel, as the ancient church, you now it's talking about the Old Testament, the, the Old Testament, the, the Jews, turned away from God and his law, God chose a pagan king and his servant to punish the apostate Israel. Now it goes to the next one. And so when the Christian people of Asia and Africa turned away from God through numberless heresies, like what I just said now, God took the Arabs, the Arab Muslims, as his servants to punish the Christians and bring them to their servants. And he says this here, listen, listen to this. When Asia and Africa turned away from God through numberless heresies, he specifically says, that's it. Finally, I got the answer. Now I can say it comfortably to people. Heresies is what is causing the main destruction. And this today, ecumenism brought on this disaster with covetism. When the Christians, when the Christian people of the Balkans turned back from God and God's law, God took the Turks as his servants to punish those in apostasy and bring them to their senses by this punishment. Whenever the faithful flock turn back from God, God makes unbelievers into a whip to bring the faithful to their senses. So as the faithful consciously and deliberately turn away from God, so the unbelievers unconsciously and unintentionally become the servants of God, his whip. And it finished, I think, a little bit more. But God takes unbelievers only temporarily into his service against believers. For the same Lord says of the land of the pagan king that he will visit it for its lawlessness and make it an internal wasteland. Then he will find a servant against his servant, another servant to punish the one that was a servant before. For God did not take the Babylonians as his servants because of their goodness and faith, but because of Israel's wickedness and unbelief, the same as the Turks. He calls them servants, not because they're good, but because of the unbelief and the wickedness of Orthodox Christians. O righteous Lord, says St. Nicolai, help us by thine all-seeing spirit to cleave ever to thee, the only true God and thine own saving law. To thee be glory and praise forever. Amen. I'm going to um, share with you some thoughts. Because I read the lives of saints a lot, which I, I inspire people to do the same, and I see all this business, you know, here and there. I started seeing this a few years back when there's uh, evil sins, God allows disasters to happen. And I said, I don't understand, something's not right. We've got people, abortions, transgender, pornography, euthanasia. They've got all these evil things happening all over the world, and yet there's no world war, there's no major disasters. And I say, 
Does that mean that the lives of saints are wrong? Can't be. Something's not right. I just confuse. Why hasn't God permitted, especially if these uh, abortions after birth, before birth, whatever? It's just a whole mess, disgusting and evil. And I said, but where are the punishments? Where's God's wrath to show disapproval? No. And then, lo and behold, and pretty much after I had that thought, COVID hit. Now, you might say, but you just told us that COVID's not even a real pandemic. I'm not talking about COVID itself, even though people did die and that's still bad, and we should pray about that. I'm, but it's not a pandemic, as they said. I didn't see one dead person in the street. There's even pictures of where they said in America that the waiting rooms of casualty were full of people that all had COVID and all the wards were full of this and that. Uh, the ambulances couldn't keep up with all the people they were bringing to hospital. It was a pandemic. It was really, really bad. And then some nurses took some, pitch, some videos and pictures of the waiting rooms that were empty, the wards that were empty, and the ambulance people were playing video games, waiting just to be called now and then to go and pick up someone. Uh, where's the pandemic? So, what's the catastrophe then? You, on one hand, you say, I say, it wasn't a pandemic, so there's no real disaster. And on the other hand, you're saying that God finally did send a punishment, you know, in a sense, something to wake up the world that had gone off with all these sins. That's not including the heresies. So am I contradicting myself? No. The disease itself was not the serious thing because even common flus, some serious flu seasons, just in America there could be 40,000, 50,000 people dying one year. In Australia, it's a lot of people that died. Do you know the, how many people died? 3,000 a year. Yeah, in Australia. Yeah, three, 4,000 a year just in Australia because our population's low. Possible? Three to four. Yeah, three to 4,000. Thank you. And uh, the same in other countries, some really bad influenza seasons, things like that. All the, no one said anything about that. No one cared about that. But suddenly for this, that's not real. Yes, that's not my problem. The problem is it wasn't the COVID itself, which seems to have disappeared for some reason. What was the problem is what they did to people, making them wear masks, what they did to the churches, closing the churches, what they did with communion, blasphemy, what they did to make people vac vaccinate, to become vaccinated with a poison. That's the disaster. That's never been seen in the world before. And it's true that a lot of this has to do with control, worldwide control, and the, to them, the population's too much in the world, has to be reduced by a couple of um, billion, I think. And that's what all these vaccinations are about. That's the disaster. People being forced to take them, people that didn't want to take them took them, uh, people lost their jobs. One man rang me up and he said, I'm being, it was a government job in Australia. He says, oh, uh, if I don't take, I'm going to lose my job. And I said, just wait it out. Just wait it out. Don't do it. He goes, but how about my family? I go, well, if you're dead, well, yeah, you can help your family. I said, what's your equity of your house? I'm a bit rude like that. What's your equity of your house? You know, equity means like if you sell it, how much, how much cash do you get? I go, a million? I just made it up. 
like I was being sarcastic, a million. He goes, oh, no, Father, 800,000. I said, and you're crying that you're going to lose your job? D downsize. If you have to downsize, you downsize. If you have to go to, back to your parents, you go back to your parents. But you don't take that thing. There's ways around it. Use your savings. Use your holiday pay. You know, they said, oh, one man that was coming to the monastery to do work, he says, oh, I know all about it. I know all about it. Oh, your website's really good, really good. And then after a while when they had him and he was in a lockdown area uh, and he uh, couldn't work and he took it. He took both of them and his wife did too. And um, he says, I had to do it because I wouldn't work. I said, why? He goes, because, oh, you know, I wouldn't be able to work. But if you just wait, it's going to be over. You're going to be able to work. All tradesmen can work now. And one person said, because oh, I won't be able to go to my favourite restaurant. I won't be able to travel. Save money. Give the money to me. I'll, I'll, I'll have good use of it. The money that you save from the trip, give it to us. We can give it to the poor. We can do missionary work. We can buy books. No, no. I won't be able to travel. And now we can walk into the shops. During the whole period, I mean, look, we're, we're a bit different to you people. We don't hardly go out anyway. I only go out every month, sometimes to the doctors or something. I really go out. I never wore a mask once. But I was able to get away with it. You live in the world, it's very hard in the world. The problem is in the church and that they're forcing you to be vaccinated. That's the problem. And that forcing is still going on by these uh, doctors that are murdering people. Without a doubt, there are so many articles of vaccinated, vaccine-related injuries and deaths. There's so many written by even those people who you think wouldn't admit it, these organisations, even they're admitting it. That there are a lot. Now, for this, was there a France thing lately for the bikes? Was there a, was there a tour to France thing lately? Well, I don't know, was, was it now? Yeah, something. I, I read there was some bike thing and everyone was getting all breathing problems and they said, oh, they'll make excuses. Like there was one tennis match in, um, uh, in America, not the big one, it was an art small one, and uh, they had to close the tournament down because people were getting chest pains. All the players were getting, a lot of people were getting chest pains. They had to stop it. So I spoke to my um, a fellow that becomes the monastery worker. I said to him, what do you think of that? He goes, oh, it must have been the weather. <laughs> okay, the weather. How come the weather didn't affect other tennis matches? And people dropping dead everywhere because it affects the heart. So this tour to France thing, or I don't know if it was tour, it was a bike thing anyway, people were not able to ride the bikes, they were getting chest pains. That's all symptoms of the, of the vaccine, pretty much. Now, in 1453, as we know, was the fourth ecumenical council. The monophysites of Egypt and Syria, there was monophysites in Egypt, and there were monophysites in Syria they rejected the Fourth Ecumenical Council, also known as the Council of Chalcedon. They believed that Christ had only one nature, divine, whereas the Orthodox believed that Christ had two natures, human and divine. That's why they call monophysites. Greek, mono, one, 
feci nature. The Monophysites were persecuted and excommunicated by the Orthodox Church. That's true that they weren't welcomed very much because they didn't accept it. This separation made the Byzantine Empire vulnerable because not all the citizens were united in one faith. Basically, the Monophysites didn't want to join in army things to protect the empire. It was like, it was like a danger. However, for many decades after this, attempts were made to win back the Monophysites, the Orthodox Church and the Byzantine Empire. Unfortunately, these attempts were actually heretical compromises. They made up formulas to kind of appease the monophysites and say, if we say this, will you join us then? And this is what leads me now to the next one. This is what happened. Now, in 626, the city of Constantinople was attacked by Persians, Avars and Slavs. It was the first serious attempt to take the great Christian city of Constantinople. Though the city was not lost through a miracle of the Mother of God, it was a warning from God that heresy is worse than all other sins. What heresy? Well, let's have a look. Before 626, in 622, four years before the attack, the heresy of monoenergism arose. The followers of this heresy believed that Jesus Christ had two natures, but only one energy. See, the compromise. They say, okay, so Christ has two natures, but one energy. Whereas orthodoxy teaches that Jesus Christ acts through two energies, divine and human, generally called theoenergism, which is a Greek word, theo means two. Now, this is like a lot for you people. It doesn't matter. Some of you like it, some of you a bit too deep. It doesn't matter. I'm going to make a point. The controversy originated in the attempts by the Byzantine Emperor Heraclius and Patriarch Sergius of Constantinople to win back to the Orthodox Church and the Empire the excommunicated and persecuted monophysites of Egypt and Syria. So they made up this thing. We'll say that Christ has two natures, but one energy. Will that make you happy? Can you come back to the church and support the empire? Patriarch Sergius I of Constantinople and Emperor Heraclius attempted to form an agreement with the Monophysites. However, this compromise was a heresy because if Christ only had one energy, it would mean that he only had one nature. Back again to Monophysism. The heresy of monoenergism, energy, get it? One, the heresy of monogism persisted for many years and it finally led to monothletism. That is, the belief that Christ has only one will. Monothletism was really an extension of monophysism. All these heresies were occurring to bring back the heretics. Now, this is this, the Sixth Ecumenical Council in 680 and to 681 accepted dioenergism or theoenergism, whatever, as church doctrine, and at the same time it condemned and, relect, and rejected monoenergism. But it took a lot of years, from 622 when it first started, to finally being rejected in 680 to 681. Now, this, now this is the example that I was trying to say before. The loss of Antioch, Alexandria, and Jerusalem. Another powerful example which confirms the truth of what is being said is the loss of great 
Christian cities and major Byzantine territories to Arab Muslims, namely Antioch, Alexandria, Jerusalem, Tampa. Muhammad was born in 571, and he died in 632. Now, the Arab Muslim conquests, where they started attacking especially Byzantine areas, began in 622. Now, if you're not shocked with that, then there's something wrong. What else began in 622, Nicholas? What else happened? 622. The heresy. The heresy. And what was that? George. What was the heresy? What was the heresy? Mono. Monoenergism. That's the same time, exactly the same time, that the Muslims began to make these conquests over Byzantine territories with success, by the way. The Byzantine Empire was a very big empire, a very powerful empire, but it was being reduced because of these Arab Muslims. Why did God permit it? It's, I can tell you with one disgusting word. Heresy. Heresy. The city of Jerusalem fell in 636. The city of Antioch and its regions fell in 637. And Alexandria fell in 641. All this time, or one can ask, why did God permit these great cities and other Christian territories to be lost at this time? The answer is simple. The heresy, as we heard just then, of monoenergism was raging like a fire that rages, that heresy was going on. And to your surprise, and to mine actually, hardly not one bishop spoke up against it. They just accepted it. There was complete, as we say in Greek, anesthesia, which means in English, insensitivity, they were dead. They didn't care at all. That's similar to today. Hardly any bishops talk about this COVID vaccines and all that. So all because the majority of bishops don't speak up, that doesn't mean that they must be right. Because we just hear now that they didn't even speak up. They didn't care. And this heresy was raging. means it was spreading, spreading throughout the Orthodox Church. And because it was spreading, God said, okay, Let's do 622 it started. Let's, let's go through it. Jerusalem, 636. Two years later, Antioch in 637. And four years later, Alexandria fell in 641. This heresy began in 622. And after persisting in their heresies for 15 to 20 years, these great Christian cities, not to mention other Byzantine territories, were lost. The heresy began in 622, and by the way, it's the same year that the Arab-Muslim conquest began, while Muhammad was alive. But after he died, they, still, they, they, they were still going for it. Now, that I find important because that explains today there is a lot of betrayal of orthodoxy. That synod that they did in Crete, where they're trying to say that other Christian churches, inverted commas, are churches like ours. They tried to pass a lot of things in that synod of Crete. 
It was meant to be an ecumenical council. And they wanted to pass all these horrible things. And yet, many countries, many Orthodox patriots did not attend. They didn't attend. They couldn't make it ecumenical. They had to have everyone there. And they thought that everyone was going to agree for their heresy. And one of the biggest blasphemies was that the other churches are churches like us. That's a heresy. Baptisms, they're not done properly. They put the baby there, they just sprinkle some water. That's not a baptism. That's no good. Then we've got double weddings, double baptisms, where they, 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 they go to one church, do the baptism, then they go to the other church, do the baptism. Weddings, they do two weddings. This is mockery. This is blasphemy. And who's speaking up? Who's saying anything about it? I once was at a Greek church years ago when I was a lay person, and I said to the priest, it's quite alarming that they're doing two weddings. They go to the Orthodox church. He had a goatee, he had a, like a collar as well. I said, they go to the Catholic church, and then they go to the Orthodox church and have another wedding. He goes, and he said to me with a high-pitched voice, Lathos means wrong. That's wrong. That's not good. I said, oh, I can't believe it. I was mistaken. You can have a goatee and you can have a dog collar and you can be Orthodox. I was shocked. I said, oh, oh, Father, that's interesting that you're saying that. No. First they go to the Orthodox Church, and then after that they go wherever they want. <laughs> a priest was visiting a woman whose father was not even, wasn't Orthodox, he was dying, and the priest said, I think it's time for him to commune. She goes, oh, he's not even Orthodox. This doesn't matter. He goes, uh... Don't we marry mixed marriages? See, the, see how that's bad? Which is forbidden by the canons, by the way. Don't we have mixed marriages? And that's a sacrament. So if a non-Orthodox can get married in Orthodox church and receive the sacrament of marriage, then why can't they receive communion? Demonic logic. Demonic logic. She said no. She said no. You're not allowed to commemorate non-Orthodox, but I even heard that you can't even really pray in the liturgy unless you're praying for them to come to the Orthodox Church. So Father John Christiakin says you can pray as long as you're praying for them to come to the Orthodox Church. But with prayers, she gave almsgiving, she asked for prayers, and then she invited Metropolitan Ilarion to the house. And she said, I'm not sure, but I think he's ready. I think he's ready because he's dying. So he came with the myrrh, with the chrismat, because he couldn't baptise him. Because he, he was in bed. He was, anyway, so um, he said, would you like to become orthodox like your daughter? He goes, yes. He became orthodox. And he died two days later. After he was chrismated by the Metropolitan, that the next day when I when we did the liturgy, I took out a particle and commemorated him. My heart was full of grace. I think that it was permitted to happen to show 
do not go against the fathers of the church that know the best. They know best. You can't give andidro to non-orthodox. You can't give holy water to non-orthodox. The non-orthodox cannot be anointed with unction oil. They need to know that. It's painful to say to them, sorry, you cannot take the andidro. You're not orthodox. But this is happening everywhere. No one cares. That's the reason why there's a lot, a lot of problems. I think Father Seraphim Rose helps us to understand a little bit of why the condition of the church is the way it is. And it's bad. He said, lives of saints are one thing desperately needed in America to give a dosage, like a medical, like dosage, like medication, of real orthodoxy to those who are withering away from two-dimensional academic orthodoxy. Withering means those who are decaying, becoming weaker. So what's two-dimensional academic orthodoxy? Well, two-dimensional shape, as you know from maths. There's a maths teacher today, I think I heard. Where, where, where is the maths teacher? Oh, yeah. Two-dimensional. Flat. Length, width, things like that. Flat. A shape. A three-dimensional object is one that has length, width, and height. It's got volume. A two-dimensional orthodoxy is just flat, no depth. They've got nothing. It's just academic. And he says what they need is medication. What medication? The lives of saints. Eldris Macrino Volos in Greece, who died in 1995. Now, Eldris Macrino is very special to me because back in the early, around that, around before she died, I was going through some troubles, ecclesiastical troubles, because I did a naughty thing according to the ecumenists. I signed a letter from a Greek theologian that condemned a bishop who was preaching heresy. And he rang me up and he said, would you like to add your name to the list? I said, well, I saw, I heard those heresies, so okay, do it. And then I forgot about it. After that, that particular bishop went ape. He went crazy. And he wanted to defrock me, even though I'm not, I don't belong to him. He was going to get Constantinople to defrock me, and then he got Serbia because I was a date in Serbia in Kosovo. He got Serbia involved, he got the Russians involved, he got this involved, he got that. Oh, it was a whole thing, it was a whole thing. And I rang up Eldris Makrina and told him my problem. And I believe, a few others too, but I believe, especially her prayers helped me get through that. 26 years later, I'm still an Orthodox priest, while the one that was trying to defrock me is gone. So I was protected. And then I found out the reason why he also got upset was because out of this list of all these people that signed, and he wrote this to, the, to, to Belgrade, to Patriot, he said, first on the list was me. I was first on the list, and I was the only clergyman on there. No one else said anything about the blasphemies. He actually said that Christ was born with sins, and a lot of blasphemies, he said. And, um, yep, that's what happened at that time. It's important, see? I was pretty much on the verge. I think they were ready to do it. I think they were ready to defrock me.
but God protected me through her prayers and through other prayers too, but I believe her prayers. Now, in 1974, let's see who this woman is. Hierondas of Macrina, whose book's at the back. In 1974, Saint Ephraim of Katunakia, a newly canonized saint of Manathos, was in hospital due to a serious illness. It was uh, the first time in 38 years that he actually left Manathos. Eldris Macrina and her sisterhood visited the saint and she made a great impression on him. Returning to his cell in Manathos, he fervently prayed for Eldris Macrina and received a revelation that, you ready for this, that she was... at the same great height as Elder Joseph the Hesychist. Now, we all know, a lot of you know, that Saint Joseph the Hesychist is a very great, because he was a spiritual father of Elder Ephraim, and Elder Ephraim produced monasteries in Manathas, he revived four in mainland Greece. He was a spiritual father, Elder Ephraim, of Yerondas of Macrina, and he also produced 19 or 20 monasteries in North America. You don't do that unless you're holy. So he's, she, this elder, this great saint Ephraim of Katunakia, it's an area in, in, like he lives as a recluse type of thing, uh, he said that she was at the same height as Elder Joseph the Hesychus. Saint Yaakovus of Evia, also recently uh, canonised, who, by the way, is uneducated, wasn't very educated, and Saint Ephraim of Katunakia wasn't educated. Uh, they also canonized Elder Amphirochius Macris, he wasn't educated. And anyway, a lot of uneducated people being canonized. I think God's allowing that to show ditch the theological degrees, stop taking notice of them. They're a cancer on the church. Saint Yaakovos of Evia said, if I lived in Volos, in other words, if I was from Volo where the monastery was, and I was a lay person, I would go on foot to kiss Yerondas' hand, the eldress's hand, and get her blessing before going to work each day. That's how much Saint Yakovos regarded her. Now, on a YouTube documentary about her, they, the one person that was seen there, I think one of her nuns, she was educated in the things of God. That is, she knew the lives of saints, the saints of the Desert Fathers. Even though she didn't have a completely worldly education or university titles, she had the gift of speaking from the Holy Spirit. She could speak to whoever went to her for hours, so as to spiritually benefit every visitor, especially those who wanted to love Christ. And Eldest Macrina herself said, which we got from the book, God is not going to look for knowledge of, or university degrees or anything else. God is going to look for only two things, humility and prayer. That's what counts. Humility and prayer. If you acquire the prayer, you have found God. We must say these few little words, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And be, and then she said, he, she said to her nuns, this is advice to her nuns, and be obedient just as Yeronda told me. Yeronda meaning Elder Ephraim. Elder Ephraim's advice was say the Jesus prayer and be obedient. Since we spoke about St. Joseph the Hesychus, who died in 1959, in, his, in the book Monastic Wisdom, St. Joseph the Hesychus writes the following quote, word for word. Read if you want, 
the ecclesiastical history by Miletios of Athens and see how many teachers, Origen and thousands of others, were at first great luminaries, great lights of the Orthodox Church, possessing extensive learning. But since they gave themselves over to the sea of knowledge before receiving Isichiar, the purification of their senses and the peace and tranquility of the Holy Spirit, they sank in the ocean of the Holy Scriptures. Meaning, there were many great fathers of the church who tried to enter into dogmatic theology, into these depths, before they reached the level of purification in their souls. And because of that, they said they sank in the deep ocean of the Holy Scriptures. Because the Holy Scriptures are like an ocean. And we can only dog paddle on top a little bit. But these people said, oh, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to go deeper into the theology, into the, into the teachers of the church. And they lost themselves. They thought that their scholarly learning was sufficient. They thought that because they got learning from whatever they went to schools, whatever, they thought that's enough, they can talk about theology. Thousands were lost and anathematized by the councils of which they had previously been champions. Eftichius being one, was anathematized in the Fourth Ecumenical Council. He was a creator of heresy. Many fathers that were in previous councils were anathematized later on. Because we need to be purified in our soul. Now, I will never sit down here and go into detail about dogmatics. I did today, but I read it word for word. I was very careful. Why? Because all I've got to do is say the wrong, one little wrong word, like of instead of for or something like that. That's heresy. So that's why I don't do it. I'm scared. Why? Because I'm not purified. You might say, oh, he's acting humble. No, that's the truth. That's the truth. People think that because they went to a university or seminary, that they are qualified to talk about theology and they speak with such a, an air about them. They're really cocky. Father Augustinos Cadiotis, Metropolitan of Florina, Northern Greece, which, which um, oh, by the way, for Yerondas of Macrina, um, when we went to Greece in 1995, I said to the person that was with me, I wonder if, we'll, if we will see her. Because I never saw her, I only spoke to her on the phone. I wonder if we see her. So we went... We visited her. Oh, by the way, when she told me on the phone once, she said, I will give you three bits of advice. I said, what are they? Number one, you will serve liturgy as the, same, as the first day when you were ordained, when the grace is especially active. You will serve liturgy like that. Number two, you will read the Gospels, all the Gospels, every week. I was never able to do that. She read the Gospels every week, all of them. I failed, I'm a bit failed in that. 
I do read the, the daily gospel reading, but I don't read as much as what she said. And the third one she said, I want you to remember in the proscomidi when you serve liturgy, the sinful makrina. So this woman who was on the same level as Joseph, Elder Joseph and she's called the mother of Greek monasticism, the mother, the top. She was asking for prayers at the liturgy and yet when people write to me, they don't even have any idea of asking for prayers, asking for commemorations. It's such a mess. It's such a mess. Saint Monica, the mother of Saint Augustine, of Hippo said to her son, after I die, I want you to remember me when you serve the liturgy. I want you to commemorate me. All the great saints did that, but today people don't even ask. So Father Betuan Augustinos, in December 1929, at the age of 22, this is him speaking, I received my degree in theology with the highest honours, Perhaps it would have been better for me not to have received such honours. These highest honours that I continued to receive from my early years of elementary education up until I finished university harmed me spiritually. So what he's saying is that from when he was at school, he was an excellent student and he would receive honours. When he went to university to study theology, he received honours. And he said that that harmed him spiritually. I confess it publicly, some sort of conceit possess me because of my theological knowledge, some type of pride, in other words, self-importance, it affected him. Not knowing, wretch that I am, that one gram of holiness is worth a lot more than tons of empty knowledge. I thought that I was capable of navigating the endless and vast oceans of theological knowledge with the small and weak vessel of my intellect. In other words, with the limited mind, we think we can learn all about theology. I became drunk, not with wine, but drunk with knowledge. And as a drunkard, I did not pay attention to the advice of the spiritual fathers who sincerely loved me. In other words, they warned him, don't be proud about your education. Then he says, unrestrained, I rushed towards knowledge. Like to down the internet, knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. How much are you going to learn? And people there, knowledge, getting more, getting more, getting more, getting more. It just clouds the mind up. How much? This is, this is serious. This, this thirst all the time for knowledge, 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 and ignoring the spiritual is a sin. There are people that are into studying conspiracies, which a lot of them could be true. It doesn't matter. You don't read all this stuff unless it's, unless it's uh, benefiting, you're not ignoring your spiritual life, I should say. And what happens to the internet, the, the YouTubes and all that stuff, it takes you over where you don't feel like praying. You don't feel like reading the lives of saints. You just want more and more and more knowledge. Well, he had that, but for knowledge, spiritual knowledge, but still. And God humbled me for my arrogance. In other words, God humbled me because I was overconfident, self-important. I had a feeling of self-importance. I went to the island of Eos, which is in Greece, uh, Eos. 
I went from being a scholar from university to become a, a grammar school instructor. He actually had to, he went to teach there with his mother that taught the Greek alphabet to the innocent children of the island. It is good for me that I have been afflicted that I may learn your statutes, Psalm 119. In other words, that he could see that God humbled him by not allowing him to use his knowledge of theology but put him in a school teaching little kids for his humility. And then he says, The demon of pride abandoned me for some time. But another demon, even worse, started to tempt me, the demon of despair. And I was in danger of being spiritually lost. Now that's important. When the demon has us in pride, he doesn't tempt us with much more because that's all he wants. As long as you've got the pride, that's it. But when you throw off the pride, when you start trying to acquire humility, then he comes and attacks you in a different way with despair, depression. And he said, I was in danger of being spiritually lost. I met Father Agustinos. He used to give wonderful talks. They used to call him Father as well. And um, his diocese in Florina, no Jehovah Witnesses, no Protestants, no belly dancers, no nothing. When he heard there was a, they're going to do a dance somewhere, some belly dancers were going to come or something inappropriate, he would walk in with his rod and stand there until they all dispersed. He wasn't scared of anything. He stood up to the Germans. One thing I remember that he went to the town hall of his, where he, his diocese was. He saw an old priest there. He goes, what are you doing here? He goes, I'm waiting for them to let me in. They won't let me in. He said, stand back. And he kicked the door. He said, now you can go in. <laughs> Politicians were scared of him. I, I believe that he will be canonised as a great saint. All the books and all the sermons. But I'll tell you one thing, which bothers a lot of people that are trying to be like they say, when, you, when the priest speaks, he's meant to be meek and not not raise his voice and not tell off people. When Augustinus used to speak, he would scream from the depths of his heart. And many saints did that. Some saints were quiet. And some, but what they want to do is they want to shut everyone up. No, don't speak like that. You're too harsh. Don't do this. Don't do that. They try to do that to me too. I'm not a great saint, but they try to do that to me too. No, that's not my character. He was a very, very big, big, big saint. There's so many books. All his books are fantastic. We have them on, the, on our website under um, information. It's called Information at the Top, and it's called Recommended Books. So we go down there, and we, uh, all his books are very, very good, simple and beautiful books. Father George Calcu of the Romanian Church, priest who spent a 21 brutal years in prison, tortured and subjected to brainwashing for his belief in Christ, for his outspoken evangelism and for his criticism of communism. He lived from 1925 to 2006. Romanian, Romania was very badly hit 
by communism. Father George says about his upbringing, my mother especially was very faithful. From her I learned many things. Every Sunday and every holiday of the church, someone in church would read the Kazania and the lives of saints of the day. Therefore, from the time I was a child, I knew a lot about the saints of the day. Now, in the early 20th century, Romanian priests rarely gave sermons in church, probably because they were uneducated, or they didn't have the, the gift. Instead, the chanter would read from the lives of saints and the Kazania, which was a collection of sermons originally written in the 17th century. And Saint Father George uh, would, um, would hear that. See what it says there? The lives of saints. From my mother, I learned the simple faith. Until I studied theology, my heart was the heart of a peasant without any theory. Like theory about religion, the theory. Not practical, theory. I knew only to pray, only to ask God to give his grace. Becoming a theologian, I lost my sincerity. Now my mind sometimes takes over the heart, and that's not good. Educated people in general, there's, there's educated, there's theologians, they speak from the mind, only from the mind. Their heart does not participate in what they're saying, and that's why when you listen to them, they're dry as. Some people can say, oh, they're really interesting. And what did you learn? Um, um, I don't know. But when a person speaks with the mind and the heart, then that's grace. And God enlightens the people and they can tell that what's being said is proper. And he said that he lost. He lost his sincerity and because his mind would take over the heart. And most people, as I said today, they speak with the mind. They speak about what they read in the books with their mind. But they're not receiving with their heart. Why? Because the heart, for it to work with the mind, means you have to be a person of prayer. You have to ask God to enlighten you. That's how it works. When we ask God to enlighten us, he will, when we say to God, I don't know much, when we say to God, I can't understand things, then God will give us his grace abundantly and then the heart works together with the mind. So Gerondas of Macrina, Eldris Macrina, she was with the heart because she was a woman of prayer. Now you might say, well, we're not going to reach those levels of prayer. We don't have to. Just be simple. Like a parent can say, God, I don't know how to bring up my child. Help me, enlighten me, tell me what to say. Instead, I've got people that ring me up and, I, and what I do when my child does that, I do this and I do that. And I, So what's your question? Why are you ringing? Uh, all you're telling me is what you do, but you're not asking any questions, what should you do? How do you know that you're right? That's silly. And let's... St. Nikolai Velimirovich did not like the idea of monastics going to universities. The reason for this, even though he was the most educated, a very educated man, the reason for this is that they, have lay, they later leave their monasteries to pursue an ecclesiastical career. 
While St. Nikolai was under house arrest in a monastery, he was removed from his diocese by the Nazis, he said to a higher monk, if I ever return to my duties, I will dismantle the seminaries. Not only will I dismantle them, but I will also wipe out the name seminary. When they asked him, where will the priests go then? Where will they go and learn? He answered, they will go to the monasteries to learn how to serve God. The worst monk has more prayer than the best parish priest. And he preferred his priests, or future priests, or when they become ordained, to go to a monastery and learn. Not to become monks, to learn spirituality from the monasteries. Father, Father Kuzmas of Gregorio, when he went to Africa, he said also, he says, Father Kuzmas did not stop at simply avoiding the influence of heterodox culture. He didn't just say to people, be careful of the heterodox, the heretics and all that uh, within Zayi. He extended this principle to protect those young souls he sent abroad to study and be formed in the orthodox way. So they used to send people to universities in Europe or something like that from Africa. He writes, it is also assured that the young native is destroyed when sent to study in Europe, returning as a theologian only in terms of his degree, not his heart. In Kolowetsi, we sent the pious young man to the Monastery of My Repentance, when you hear the word Monastery of My Repentance, where the monk was tonsured. In the so he was tonsured in Gregorio, and that's called the monastery of his repentance. He says, that's where I send the, the men that are going to become priests or something like that. I send them to the monastery of Rigurio, where he will learn the Greek language, theological matters, dogmatics, ethics, worship, the typicon, iconography, and Byzantine music, both in practice and in theory. He studies orthodoxy in the University of the Desert. When we say here the word desert, it means in, the, in, a, in a spiritual not in the world, in a spiritual environment. Keep in company with sanctified elders and spiritually gifted fathers and learning from them the, the according to likeness. I don't know what that means. Purified and forming Christ within him, the young candidate becomes a good co-worker and an ideal successor to become a priest and go to Africa and continue on the work. So is that where our bishops are from today? Very rare. Very rare. And that's the problem. That's where all the destruction and all the diseases happen in the Orthodox Church. He says, let them go to a monastery where they're going to hang around with the spiritual people, gifted people, learn the services, etc. Become spiritual and then go out. How long? Ah, yeah. oh, it's ready. Oh, well... Oh, it's very late. I had St. Sophronius to go through. I had St. Geronimus of... Um, what, what page did we get up to? Oh, I'm surprised. 80, 80, page 80. We did quit quite well. I only had another few pages. I had Sophronius of Essex, who was a spiritual child of St. Siloanos of St. Petalimum Monastery. St. Siloanos had hardly any education. And... Um, and St. Nikolai Vilimirovich, who was a highly educated man, his spiritual father was St. Siloanos of Manathos, uneducated. Then I've got um, some things about what the fathers say. 
Saint Father Augustine of Florina, Saint John of Shanghai and San Francisco, and another person I think is uh, Saint. See what I did accidentally? I wasn't careful. I licked my hand after touching. I could get COVID. Saint Nikolai Velimirovich, who also said, all of them said, you do not listen to the bishop unless he teaches orthodoxy. If he doesn't teach orthodoxy, and Saint uh, John has actually said, you're not going to find many elders, you're not going to find many um, guides, you've got to basically read the lives of saints, you've got to read the Holy Fathers to find out the truth. Well, people say, oh, I want a spiritual father. I said, stop it. They go, oh, I want a spiritual father to guide me. You're not going to hardly find any of those. Go and confess your sins, get absolution, and we have, as Seraphim Rose said it as well, Father Seraphim Rose, and all the Holy Fathers that lived in our time said, God left us the lives of saints, the fathers of the church, to guide us in these times. If you're going to depend on, like one person said, that she confesses to someone somewhere here in, in Australia. I said, if you tell him you come here, he'll scream at you and tell you not to come. Because why? Because I'm a heretic, I'm a... I love the Pope, so I don't know, what, what, what's the reason? Why? Uh, maybe because I'm speaking against ecumenism and he's an ecumenist. Which I went to the church and I found out that he allows Catholics there to pray with him. So this is very, very important to know that I'll go through that if God willing. Uh, we are allowed to, to do another... I want to do a lot of this before because it might do another lockdown. And my last advice is... Uh, if this happens again where the churches are locked down, you can't go to church, you've got to start from now buying service books, orthodox service books, synaxarians, which are the lives of saints, but service books. There are many different types of service books. The Menea, which are the everyday, like the WhatsApp camera every day, which includes feast days that are fixed. There's the Pentecostarian, there's the Lenten Triodion, there's the Ochtoikos. These are good. Now, Holy Transfiguration Monastery of Boston, they sell all those books. They're nice, they're big, of course, but they And you need those books because the, now people say, oh, no, I get it from the internet. Well, what happens if they close the internet? I read the prologue from the internet. No, you buy the prologue and you have it in your house. Did you see what they did to the Chinese people in some city there? Locked up thousands of them in the units and even put steel bars and they couldn't come out for months. And they did that basically here a lot too. And they might do it again. Without the lives of saints, without the gospel, without the Bible, and without the services, you're dead meat. This will get you going. This will feed you. Even if, But I have you can't commune. Many saints didn't commune, some for years, but they still received grace. <coughs> if you're not communing because you can't go to church, God will give you grace. It's not your fault. You don't have to commune if you can't. God will personally give you grace to get you through the time. We have saints that went without communion for 20 years, 30 years. Now, they might have another lockdown, they may not. I would advise you, by all the lives of saints that I've advised, the prologue, the seven-volume set, Apostle Paul Bookshop sells them there, you can also buy the service book straight from um, that. They also might say, oh, I'll buy it later on. But they might close down the um, 
deliveries, the, um, the shipments, which they, in some places they said, we can't send much over because of the restrictions. Okay, so that's very, very, very important as well. Okay, okay who's ready? So um, let's hope that we can do another one soon. I've got more material to do, but I tried to do a cross-section because I knew I wasn't going to finish. So I did a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there, and I just spread it right through. I would never do that. I would do this and develop, 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 and at the end I'll probably talk about the clergy, but I had to sprinkle it through because if not, you're not going to know. And we don't know. Time is short. Okay, stand up. Through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercy, save us. Amen.